we do a lot of uh, testing and um, just criteria and stuff on who can donate. Um, like with the umbilical cord stem cells, for example, uh, like the products that we use, our company um, is the Dr. Ian White's company. It, we we don't um, we actually don't accept um, if they've been vaccinated right now. We still don't accept uh, like the donors. Whoa! Is there a reason that you don't take from vaccinated people? There is some research suggesting that you can trigger what's called a spike protein in the stem cells. Um, and that spike protein may trigger oh. other sort of immune response in the body and cause inflammation and potentially make things like cause things to get worse. Um, it, it, there's some data on it, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's hundred percent clear, uh, but given that there might be a potential risk, we are only taking at least our products um, are just from unvaccinated women and um, donors. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Thursday, August 31st, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Should be shorter than usual today because I put off a lot to focus on two really important developments that are very complementary to things that we've been talking about. (laughs) A nice way of saying we've been screaming about this for three years. It's adding to the information that we've been, I mean, what's the right word for it? Like the the Omicron focus is the one that I'm kind of struggling to find the right word for, because, you know, we've been harping on this. Where did Omicron come from? Who are the diplomats with diplomatic immunity that nobody that even Botswana has come out and said they refuse to acknowledge or uh, to say who they are under a guise that they'd somehow be persecuted, like because of, you know, racial overlaps with where the virus came from. That's a card they've played, but four people came through into Botswana with diplomatic immunity, which brought um, that's where Omicron first first seen. Now the narrative has been all stretched around to make it look like it started in South Africa. I've gone over that in depth and shown you how we could prove that's the case, even prove that they know that, and still kind of mental gymnastics make it work to where they say it came from South Africa. Today, there's more information coming out about a, a study finding that Omicron in particular is not natural. And I'll go over the data for you for, for you guys to look at. We can discuss all of the peripheral details we've seen. And I think this really does add to the reality that something, whatever you think Omicron was, changed the discussion. Whether that means they were trying to stop the problem they created, whether this was the entire plan to begin with, priming and execution, I, I don't really know. But this adds a lot to the story that we're going to go over today. Now, and, and even those, and this overlaps with like the bioweapon self-spreading vaccine conversation. For those out there that are of the of the mind that, uh, that this isn't a virus or in general that viruses don't exist, there's conversation we can have about this that will, you know, open your mind to the possibility that this still could be a thing, even if you're correct about that bacteria potentially or even the conversation about virus-sized transistors. We'll go over all of this when we get there. But we're also going to talk about something really important that was a peer-reviewed study that just came out that finds spike protein circulating in the bodies of people that are vaccinated 
in it, one of the doctors speaking about this frames it as half the people that are injected still have spike protein in their body. But what I found most interesting is that the data shows six months after the injections, these people still have this thing circulating, which we've been telling you. We've been proving that with peer-reviewed science, but this is just another supplemental study. For some people, it may be a brand new informative point, but this has been there. We'll go over the studies as well, but this is a longer, more fleshed out study with a lot more additional information that adds to the story. It's pretty incredible. So just both of these stories together kind of make, put this in an interesting light. This does begin to feel more and more like something that was executed with all the other points. I mean, I think for a lot of people, that's just a no brainer at this point. It's just important to remain objective with all the information that we have and whether or not some of these stories that seem very sound could just be something put out there to manipulate us. Now, that's not meant to say that we should never settle on things we can prove. Just always keep that in the back of your mind. Right. I have things that I'm I'd be willing to bet on. You probably know many of them. But I would still always sit back and go, could I be wrong? Yes, that's always possible. That's just a good practice to have. So you can ask, because there's a lot of people in this field that will decide something and, and, and are probably even right still, but will be unwilling to consider that they could be wrong. And sometimes they are. And that's what's, the, there's a great quote about that. What was it? It's a Mark Twain. It's not the things that you know that get you in trouble. It's the things that you know for absolutely certain, but aren't true or something like that. And I, 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 it's, that's incorrect, but it's a paraphrasing of the quote. The point being is that the things that really get you in trouble are the things that you know for sure that aren't true. And that's an important thing to think about. But let's get into some of these important studies and, and, and really stand back and think about the bigger picture of, you know, the, how the self-spreading issue, the, the shedding spike protein, and what that might, might actually mean in the context of something that was executed either to begin with or was something that was organically happening and then Omicron was added, maybe the ethnic bioweapon conversation, or it was something that was started this way and Omicron was the priming factor. A lot of these conversations, uh, George Webb talked about the, the life switch and the idea that the first thing was sort of the oil platform analogy and the drill would be the next thing to come. I mean, you guys can decide for yourselves. Some of these things probably sound like crazy conspiracy theory. So did a lot of the stuff that's now verifiable, verifiably true in the beginning of this COVID-19 illusion. So keep an open mind, guys, because this stuff is as you if, you if you're not familiar with the show, what we discuss on this show is almost always backed up by peer reviewed science. And that doesn't mean that we blindly believe because it's based on peer reviewed science. We use the scientific method. Then we add that study along with observational and everything else to the body of work and magically come to our own independent conclusions. It's crazy, right? That's conspiracy theory today. So enough enough in the opening. Let's get into some opening points that I want you to see. Don't miss these articles that Derek just came out with two in a row. The third one comes out tomorrow and there might be more going forward as this develops because this story doesn't seem to be going away. One of the things that I put off are two of the main things that I seem to keep putting off. I have a huge segment on foreign policy that frustrates me because a lot of the points are going to be not, you know, days and, and maybe a week old. And for me, that's frustrating. But we all and I, so I will be doing that probably tomorrow if I get to it, but also a huge segment on the transgender conversation, both of which are more particularly the, the transgender conversation. I feel like we did a really good job, you know, pointing out how this was not what it looked like and how people were being lied to and using a lot of the great work by larger platforms that have already been doing work. Matt Walsh, for example, despite a very partisan kind of bent to it, doing really excellent work on that topic. And so my point is, I think that's pretty clear in my mind if you're open to the information. So I'm happy to put that off while we focus on some of these more pressing factors, but I will be getting to this. But he put this out. This is part one. 
identity crisis is the name for it. I'll, I'll make it it's a page for this for its own kind of landing page for all of them. Gender identity history, puberty blockers and hormones. Part one. And then in this, it's, and I, I put in a lot of extra stuff on here that you guys have seen me talk about uh, credit to Josh Walcos for the puberty blocker, you know, the experts, Diane Earn staff, who is the medical health director, child and adolescent gender center, uh, gender. Oh, I, I think what gender twice in there. I hate typos at you at UCF, uh, UCSF saying puberty blockers cause infertility. Or this really important Associated Press article where the president of the one of the leading transgender health clinic in the, in the world says that they're being sloppy with treatment for kids and, you know, important stuff that people don't know about. So make sure you check that out. And he put out part two today. Identity crisis, part two, Com- a gender affirming surgery, social contagion, detransitioners and the autism overlap. So make sure you check these out, guys. It's an important conversation. I will be coming back to that, but I'm going to start today with a point. Seeing as how most of what we're getting into today are things that we've been telling you and proving with peer-reviewed science that are now being discovered by larger people or fleshed out with more peer-reviewed science. And this is one of those. Remember when we talked about this? This this one is actually the um, the clip that was done by Brock, I believe, or I forget if it was me or Brock. This one was Brock. COVID-19 test swabs and ethylene oxide. Remember that? Is there a risk? Very, very objective. Just let's look at the data, right? Those are the kind of, you, those are the shows I've pointed out in the past. You know, is this a thing? Let's look at what we can prove, right? And sure enough, I was kind of blown away by this, finding out that this is not immediately dangerous, like right off the right out of the bat or off the bat. But when you look at the data, these things are meant to be used for, you know, basically they use this to sterilize medical tools and, and different things as well. But that's the most, most important point, the medical sterilization. It turns out, they do accumulate and it does have a minor issue. But the point is, you know, you don't go to the doctor's office every day for a year straight. Right. So, you know, the, the, the tongue suppressor or the different things they put on you does have some residual ethylene oxide. That's provable. I just I showed it in the show. Their own documents make that clear. But they go, oh, it's a small amount and it won't hurt you. And they're probably right in the long term. But when you're testing every day, let's say, which was happening during COVID-19 or even still today for some people. And even using the thing and jamming it up to your brain barrier, which is still, nobody seems to be able to explain why that was ever happening, by the way. Crazy. It turns out it accumulates, especially when you get up into your blood brain barrier area, right? Well, that was called fake news. There was a route, everyone around, rather fake news. You guys are scaremongering, you're misinformation. And then it turns out the Associated Press comes out with a breaking news article. They're going to shut down a plant. In Memphis, you know why? Well, because it uses this super dangerous thing called ethylene oxide. I'm not making this up. The EPA said long-term exposure to the colorless, odorless gas, ethylene oxide, could lead to a variety of health problems, including lymphoma and breast cancer. Well, what do you know? Again, that was a conspiracy theory. We wrote about it in 2021. You can look at it for yourself. Now, the point is that this is being closed down because that's a risk. Now, they go through the article and they say, hey, well, it's long-term. But yes, there is a risk. And, and even when it's used in small doses, there it's, as I've told you, it's called generally, uh, generally received or generally accepted as safe, generally recognized as safe. So it's grass. But when you read it, it says, well, there is a risk right there. Even the one time you use it does have a small effect on your body. Well, we should know that, shouldn't we? And all these people that took 40,000 COVID tests over the last three years, 
I guarantee you have some kind of a problem. And then you add the cancer-causing injections and the destruction of their immune system and the masks that reduce their immune system in general and cause systemic inflammation and oral thrush and bacterial pneumonia and blah, blah, blah. They end up in a really bad way and then blame you because you didn't do the dangerous thing and you're completely healthy and it's your fault, right? Anyway, facetiousness aside, it's kind of crazy, right? That this stuff is that obvious and we're still that far ahead of the story. But this is another breakdown we just put on the Substack. In case you missed it, the PCR illusion. I went through the thing you've seen me go through 14 times. But in case you haven't seen it, and, and people out there haven't, we go over, you know, the, the, the epidemic that wasn't. It's an important story. It is not going to load for me. Oh, well, Substack slow. But you guys have seen us talk about this. I think he has a picture of it right there. Faith in quick tests leads to epidemic that wasn't. If you have not read that, read it. You have not seen it, watch us cover it because there's a lot of important points. The bottom line is they used a PCR test back, I think it was 2007, and it led to the epidemic that wasn't. Not a single case of what they were looking for was ever real. Yet they locked down for six months, thousands of vaccinations were given, hospitals were shut down, and nothing actually happened. It was the common cold and other symptoms. And the whole point was they go, what was the problem? What did they identify in this article? The PCR test was why it happened. I can't believe this is not more prominent. Get this in front of somebody gigantic so we can literally break this whole story. But I doubt it happens. I don't know why. It's been there from the very beginning, guys. My point was they saw this and went, ah, okay, <laughs> that works for us. Let's use that next time. Because they, even the doctors, Dr. Pearl right there, she says herself, this will happen again. Because these tests are becoming more prominent. It's just the most ridiculous thing in the world. Scott adds a lot of extra extra important stuff in here. On the top of what I discuss on this on the breakdown, the cycle threshold, the lie about how this is used. It's just so vividly obvious. Make sure you get this in front of people. It's broken down. It's, it's 26 minutes. Anyway, let's start this off with an important point from Marty McCurry. Now, this is really important because it's... Now, There's I don't agree with everything he says in this article. He's a little bit on the line of the mainstream for me. But the point is that what he's saying in a general sense is absolutely true. And this is important to get in front of the, the normie friend out there that doesn't understand the bigger picture, but is still willing to listen to somebody who, you know, writes for, uh, you know, wall street journal work from Johns Hopkins, which is Dr. Marty McCary, PH or uh, medical doctor. Now what he says and thank you, first of all, to Dr. Nick for saying this. He says, if you've been following conspiracy theorists like T lab or James Corbett, or independent journal journalists who have been on the case, you'd have known this was always the plan. That this is, that, oh, I, mean, I should have read the other one first, but it's written in their own agendas, he says, and then points at an article we published on February 2020. It's actually an original post by James Corbett. Coronavirus, the cures will be worse than the disease. 2020, remember, remember Trump promised that that won't happen. <laughs> well, he was either wrong or lying, so you guys can work that one out for yourself. But here's what Marty says. Um, this is today. The FDA and the CDC pushing the new XBB COVID booster. Now, don't forget, by the way, as we get into more information, XBB 1.1.5 is what those new boosters are aimed at alone. That's what the FDA decided. That's what they've all gone forward with. So now as they all try to tell you that it works for this one or that one, all that really means is that it has an effect, they argue. A peripheral effect like, well, it's not that far. And most of that's based on assumption that, well, because it's an Omicron variant that there it's not that much different. Well, yeah, that doesn't matter. We saw the different before. And even in general, they've already shown you historically that that's not the way these work. They're guessing. That's the same way they guess with the flu shot. How often does that not work? We'll get into a small point about that later in the show. But the point is they're guessing and these things are dangerous regardless of whether they nail the 
variant or whether that exists at all. But he says that the new ones pushing this on 300 million Americans, FDA and CDC, with zero human outcomes. Guys, think about that. Zero. I don't even think we have the eight mice game this time either. This is just extrapolating data from failed previous endeavors acting like those succeeded. As he says, that makes a mockery of the scientific method and our regulatory process. Absolutely true. It's amazing that we even have to argue that. This is my point, guys. Average people out there, or excuse me, doctors who know how this works and have known before the COVID madness, which is most of them, are very aware this doesn't make sense. Some of them just decide to go, well, they say it makes sense, so we're going to go along because I'm not the, or they're, the CDC knows, or whatever their mindset is. But somewhere inside, they know this does not make sense, and that means that most of these people in these positions are cowards. Cowards are too dumb to know this is crazy. He's standing up for it. But here, let me show you why there's a couple of things in here that I'm concerned about. Here's what he says. Oh, this is not that long. This came out yesterday. Biden waves through another COVID booster. He's certain that it works, but there's no data. Do you think Biden knows what these data, the studies say? Biden has no idea. Neither does Kareem. They go, yep, it works because the CDC said over and over, even though the CDC said 40,000 things in the last three years that we've already shown you were wrong. Now, you know, 100, I don't know, a lot. Is this how we approve drugs now? Yes, they told you this, guys. And that's what Dr. Nick is saying. If you had known or watched and followed a lot of us, we've been telling you from day one, it's about the platform. They're going to get to a point where they don't need safety testing. I mean, I wrote about that in 2021. Here we are. I guess I just got lucky. (laughs) Right, Scott? Or what's his name? Scott uh, Adams? Is that the one that was saying that we just guessed repeatedly and got lucky? And he, even though it was wrong repeatedly, he was right because he did the right thing or whatever that guy was saying. It's amazing how much that's clear this is. But he says, or McCary goes on to write for the Wall Street Journal, President Biden declared last week that a new COVID booster shot works and is necessary. He said he would ask Congress to fund it, and it will likely be recommended that everybody get it, no matter whether they've gotten it before or not. Which, again, that doesn't even add up with what they were told, Right. So essentially, this is what I said last time with Biden's clip. This admits to us that either these that bottom line, the other ones didn't work. That's when he said this one will work, which implies the other ones didn't. And then if they supposedly worked at all the way they said they did when the people got them right in the beginning, the narrative was, well, it'll work, right? You'll get immunity and it'll work. Doesn't matter if there's things that change because you got it early and you're, well, no, that doesn't make, it's not working for them because it never, I don't think it was designed to work for them, quite frankly but natural immunity to whatever we're talking about, even with this discussion and their own science from the NIH, the WHO and science.org and every platform everywhere tells you that natural immunity from the beginning continues to be durable, lasting, robust, and makes variants of concern antibodies for variants of concern. I've shown you all those peer-reviewed studies a thousand times, and yet we keep, they keep pointing at this because they're dishonest or they don't know that they're wrong. And it's not, I'm, I believe that. But I'm not basing that off just my opinion. I'm based that off the science and a litany of experts and doctors that are standing by that, even at their own, you know, to their own expense because they're being attacked for it. But everybody. So think about the people out there that got seven shots. I have a clip for that later. Got COVID three times and are now being told to get another one. Well, a lot of them are just going to go right along and do it because they've already kind of ingrained this into their routine. It's like the flu shot. Well, until they have a heart attack or their teeth fall out or whatever else goes on because they're following along with all this, teeth being the mask point. But is this our new drug approval process, he asks. There are no human outcomes. There's no data on the new shot, which the FDA is expected to approve. Now, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Is it going to be an approval? 
We know how loose they've been with the term approved. They say that and then it becomes an emergency authorization. We'll have to wait and see. If it's an approval, we should be outraged. How in the world you could pretend it's an approval based on the narrative? The, the term approval and what that means in the context of their world has not changed, at least as far as I know. They'll probably update that, that definition 30 seconds before this happens. But my point is that that still stands as the highest level. And they have never really gotten there. They barely said community and spike facts were approved and then never gave it to anybody and lied about it. The point is emergency use authorization was the only way they were able to pull this off. And that still st technically stands in a weird way for the PCR test and a few other things. But as I understand it, not for the injection. So what happens next? Will they declare an emergency and do it again? Or will they prove it and prove to you that they don't care about testing? You know, it's going to be a very interesting dynamic. Either way, it's going to expose them. And I think they're worried about that, to be quite honest. But they're telling you it's going to happen, regardless of no data, based on a failed process. Like, realize they're pointing at what just happened and saying, see, that all worked perfectly. So we don't need to test again. I don't think anybody thinks that. Not even the people that took those shots. It says, undermining the normal scientific and regulatory process erodes public trust. Yeah. But you lost that already. So I don't even think they care. This feels like desperation. Last fall, the administration approved and recommended a novel COVID bivalent booster. No, they didn't really. They See, this is my point. They emergency authorized the bivalent with no human data. Only 20.5% of American adults took it. Right. And that was the one that's considered a net harm for 18 to 27s, I believe. Net harm which it is for everybody, if we're being very honest about this, but realize 20% of the people that they were told all had to get it complied. Those are the people that went along, that wore the masks, that adhered to lockdowns, that got three shots. They said, not this one. Recognize a win, guys. The, all those people, whether they're scared or whatever else, they chose not to do it. 70% of them, or rather of the country, but let's just say if it was 70% to start with and only 20% took it, you know, there's a good at least half of them that said, wait a minute, something's going wrong here. Something doesn't work or I feel sick, whatever. So realize the majority has been on our side the whole time, in my opinion, long before this, quite frankly, but it says only 20.5 took it. And some were compelled to do so by employers or schools. The recommendation was based on mouse data that failed to recognize the 100,000 fold risk difference between a healthy young person and a comorbid elderly adult. Think about that. And what that's a, that's one of the many con issues that basically is pointing out that they did this based on a small amount of data. And now we're rec when you look at it, you realize, well, wait a minute. There's no differentiation between the dying elderly person with 14 comorbidities and the baby with, you know, that that's crazy. But people are blind to it because they're told risk, even though we can prove to you this was less than the flu from the beginning. It just goes round and round. The government paid $4.9 billion, or rather you paid $4.9 billion for 171 million doses, the vast majority of which went to waste. Only your money went to waste, quite frankly. Pfizer got its money. They got their agenda. You got stolen from. Welcome to democracy. It's possible a new booster will mitigate the severity of COVID infection. I see this is so there's two things to point out here. This is where I have a hard time getting in line. Now, I don't know whether Marty and these different people are trying to kind of walk that line to get in front of people that need to see it or they actually think these things can help some people. That line needs to be tossed in the garbage. The idea, well, it's how uh, there's effect for some people. No, no danger for everybody all the time. These things are dangerous. All of the data shows that the science is very clear to argue that just be an outlook. And then even worse, 
the the at the groups that they're pointing at that might have some effect are the ones that are at most risk from this dangerous thing and at least risk from the whatever's out there. How does that make sense? The elderly and the children are going to be hurt by this thing. And by and large, well, I guess the elderly could argue at more risk from the COVID-19 issue. But my point is it's less than the flu for everybody anyway. So this is increasing their risk no matter what. And then you're going to say, well, the new thing based on a guess with no human trials might reduce it based on what? I mean, it's just that, I guess, you know what? Fair enough. Who knows? It could do something. <laughs> That's just basically what he's saying. But the variants it targets are fleeting. So first of all, I'm not going to jump to the conclusion these things are even there. First of all, like whether or not you think we think viruses are here today or exist in general, the variants can be lied about. This could be a, the flu. This could be just the same thing from the beginning, name something else, or that could not be there at all. Like all these things are certainly possible. We should not be dismissing that. They've lied to us larger than that. So my point is, the tar- the, that's first of all, that we shouldn't even take it at face value. And how, the PCR tests, I'm proven to you, aren't even able to test for these things. They're estimating that anyway, so I don't know why we buy any of it. But on top of all of that, taking it from this is what I tell people that try to challenge, you know, that were blinded by the germ theory or whatever. You have to try to argue from within their narrative to prove to people that still buy this narrative that they're wrong. Right. So their narrative is that variants are here. So we have to make new vaccines. That's pretty simple. Right. But you can easily prove, as Marty's pointing out, that by the time they put these new things out, whether or not you think they're there, based on their narrative, that even within the narrative logic, it doesn't even apply. It's like, how can you work that out? Are they trying to lie? Are they want you to see that they're... I don't even know how that makes sense. Because the point is, yet again, just like with Delta and Omicron or whatever other overlap, they've already proven to you that these things don't make sense. And this has never been the way it works. You don't... Other than the flu shot, by the way, which, again, continues to hurt people and doesn't actually have a large effect almost every year. The rest of them, they're aimed at one particular thing. You don't just guess at the new thing and then dump it, actually force it on people, which is already beginning to happen again, and then go, well, it'll have some effect. Well, you might think that makes sense, assuming this thing was completely benign and safe outside of that, but it's not. One in 35 myocarditis, 36% increase, serious adverse events. This is ridiculous based on a less than the flu thing that it's not even aimed correctly at. Like, I don't even understand how any doctor can make this make sense other than being paid or they don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to pretend I know more than doctors, but damn it, it's starting to feel like that for some of these people or they're lying because it seems pretty clear to me. And then you speak to some of these larger doctors that do see this and they, yeah, yes, you're right. <laughs> I mean, so you guys know this stuff's too, it's, it's too clear. But it says press releases from Pfizer, Moderna, and Novavax state that their new boosters work on work. That's my point on two dominant variants in circulation today. Okay, so all they're saying is our booster that we have focused on XBB15, that you made us focus on just that, it works for those two. Well, you know what they said for that? They said that during bivalent. Remember that? They go, oh, it works for BA1 and 2 and, and 5, and what, it works. But nope, turned out they're wrong because <laughs> it didn't work. It's actually a net harm and it didn't even have the effect they said it did. So it's just the same lie again. Based, and I'll tell you right now, in their own logic, it is that this is just a small difference. So it, pro- it must have an effect. And then you can take a step back and realize their own admissions during the FDA discussions were that they don't know how this actually works. And they don't and they don't know the correlative of protection. That's their own words. They know they haven't. They know they see a response. But is that a response that protects you from what's happening? Well, that's an assumption. See, there's people out there that will act like that's fake news, despite their own words saying that. 
special plan since I brought it up. And these are the two important ones from the FDA discussions where they, you know, it's, it's can't be dismissed. But even more alarming is the fact that neither of these have been brought up by any, any corporate news outlet. How should we think of micrograms in terms of the amount of spike protein that's produced by the cells? Can you kind of clarify that? Obviously, we don't have a complete understanding of the nature of the way that the vaccine works in terms of producing immune response. Obviously, we don't have a complete understanding of the nature of the way that the vaccine works in terms of producing immune response. And then can you repeat the, the second question? I mean, obviously, you have a lot of data now. What is your correlative protection is? Everybody's measuring antibodies. They're probably relevant, but as we know... That's a long question. We need a quick answer. I would say there is no established correlate of protection. Both of those are in the FDA discussions. He's, he's, and these are people asking questions. The FDA is answering. And the other one was from Pfizer, right? Or I mean, both of them are from Pfizer. This is the FDA engagement with Pfizer and, and the doctors asking questions. And during the, uh, uh, what's the term for it? The, I'm just blanking on the term. We've talked about it many times. This is where Steve Kirch will step in and make his comments. But the point is that Pfizer, on the record, we don't have a correlative of protection, right? So we see response, but we don't know whether that response equals X, Y, and Z protection. How in the world is that possible? Oh, because super danger, pandemic. Nope, that's also a lie. So you're using the threat of fear that's not true to, to be able to rush past things for safety. So dangerous things for your safety might as well be tattooed on their forehead. And then the clear point, they don't know how exactly how it works. Well, we did. We threw these things together and something happened. So let's package it and sell it. <laughs> Sounds like exactly what we can expect. Unbelievable. So they work on the two things, which neither of which this has been aimed at. But they have an effect, though, Pfizer says, even though they've totally not lied about a lot of things so far. But we don't know which variant will be dominant later this winter. Right. So September, October, they, they, by the time they give these things to people, there will already be something else going on. This is like, what, the fourth time they've done this? It's, you know, this feels like the plan. Almost an experiment to see how this works out. Otherwise, why would you do the same faulty thing three, four times in a row? A newer variant for which the novel booster vaccine has unknown efficacy, that's the point, they're, they're claiming they know that, but they don't because they haven't studied it, has already been identified in Michigan and outside the U.S. That's on top of the other things. Advocates of the new COVID boosters point out that the annual flu shot gets approved without a randomized trial, right? So this is how they're trying, they're trying to shoehorn this in by saying, well, you guys, have gotten, you guys have gotten lazy as the American population, and you've allowed us to just give you a new flu shot without any trials, so let's do the same thing here. Well, no, that's because people don't understand that happens. That's why. If that got mass awareness that you guys weren't actually testing these flu shots with randomized trials and just inserting a new thing and testing it on people, they'd probably not be okay with that. Now, by the way, I'll include this. Freedom Podcast did an interesting breakdown here on the, the flu shot they're currently giving, at least in, in the UK. And guess what, guys? It's another. It's a, a nasal flu shot. Surprise, surprise. They're finally trying to give people actual mucosal immunity despite giving you a shot in the arm that doesn't do that for respiratory viruses. Because that's always been the case, but, you know, make news, right? But the point is, four strains, because, you know, why not make four different antibodies for four different things that you don't need? Because, you know, that won't hurt you at all, or will create antibody-dependent enhancement, or molecular mimicry, or whatever else. But it also includes swine flu, right? Because that's not, this is the same thing we've talked about. H1N1 is the same lie they've been selling you for, what, since the 70s? And then again, in the early 2000s, I forget the exact dates. 
But that's the like that's the clip we've always played about the swine flu. They never they swap things out. Anyway, the point is that these things are not safe, in my opinion, for a lot of different reasons. And then you can find out that the maker of the one they're using is from AstraZeneca, because that's totally legitimate. And the side effects are ridiculous. I mean, you can go through go this for, through through this for yourself. I plan on doing more of a focus on the flu shot in general, but overall, also recognize. They're swapping these things out right now without letting people know. They're putting out things that are different mRNA-based or universal. I'm not saying that's happening immediately right in this circumstance, but I've already seen this beginning in other injections, and I know these things are coming out. The universal flu vaccine, mRNA-based, is already ready to go as far as I can tell. They've also got the lipid nanoparticle ferritin, the ferritin lipid nanoparticle universal flu injection. They've also got the tri-flu RSV COVID mRNA-based injection. And remember, we just played the clip for you. If you look up the data about what's being worked on, there's like over 100 different mRNA injections in the, in the works right now. And, and we know this works, right? It's all proven. No, not even remotely. And that's where we'll come back to the idea that the platform itself is showing to be the problem. Or at least that's what the peer review study found. So it won't matter when they just add something different. It's the platform that seems to be hurting you. We'll come back to that. But he references in this article, oh, let me finish, I didn't finish it. But he says the, uh, no, no testing for the flu shots, but the flu shots are use a traditional vaccine platform that has withstood the test of time. Well, I completely disagree with that. I think the SIDS and SADS and any number of things that we just pretend like we don't understand are coming because of shots this and like this and others. I, I, I'm not going to say I can prove it's only the flu shot, but I, I, my suspicions will say that a lot of these kind of larger problems we've seen are just kind of kicked down to some unexplainable thing. And now we're seeing how that mechanism works under the COVID illusion. And now we're stepping back and going, okay, what about this? What about SIDS? What about SADS? What about fibromyalgia? What about all these things that we pretend we understand, but we actually realize are just a catch-all for unexplainable things, right? I think we're going to start to find a lot more when we ask these questions. So that's just the general perception, but it says, and COVID vaccines have higher complication rates, which is true. The latter have a rate of serious adverse events as high as one in 556 doses, according to a study published last year in journal vaccine. Here's what's interesting. He seems to pull, that's an important stat because that's true, but he pulls out one of these things that are important from a study that I, I can't even believe he doesn't cite the main point for me. This is the same one we've been showing you 2022, the same thing. The Pfizer trial exhibited a 36% higher risk of serious adverse events in the vaccine group. Now, remember, and here, this is the one you're used to seeing. It's the one that I show. Same, same study, different platform. This is from Science Direct. This one is from PubMed. Same study, same publication. Now, the point was, though, that this is not a new finding. This is a reevaluation of the phase three trial. So what, what the real point should be is that we reevaluated what Pfizer told us this says. Hey, it turns out they lied to us. It turns out that it's actually 36% more likely to have a serious adverse event when you, that versus not taking the vaccine. That's crazy. It's only 6% more for the Moderna shot, but both of them have a higher risk of death, hospitalization, and serious and, and uh, disability versus not even taking it from their own trials. So bottom line, though, the point is, at least he's pointing out these things are dangerous. They have also been found to cause myocarditis in young people at a rate 6 to 28 times the incident rate after infection. Yeah, that's right. And, and first of all, we also have a study that shows that COVID-19 doesn't even lead to that. But that's disputed by some people. But according to this 2022 JAMA cardiology study, which is also right here, I think. Oh, no, I didn't grab it. But the point was, we know that one in 35 is the general consensus by a lot of the experts right now based on peer reviewed science. 
one in 35. And that's why we understand that this is a net harm specifically for 18 to 29 year olds. That's what British Medical Journal found peer reviewed that it takes one. It takes. Between 31 and 42,000 young adults receiving three individual shots to stop one hospitalization, possibly. And that will end up causing 18.5 serious adverse events. You just can't misunderstand that. Some people try to. But this brings us to why. Right. So we're they're pushing this thing out. And they are still using the same concept, the same mRNA platform, the same lipid nanoparticles, and the same spike protein, slightly altered to meet an old variant that's not even here anymore, or not going to be, or doesn't exist in the first place. But this is a great post from Dr. Philip McMillan. And this is it's just this is just his post with the the video and just the just the the art the um image there. I'll play some of his video and then I'll go over the study itself. Detection of recumbent spike protein in the blood of individuals vaccinated against SARS-CoV-2 possible molecular mechanisms came out today. And I thought this was interesting. Whatever that means, well, that's what stand that stands for the methyl pseudouridine that they're using to modify the RNA, which is what and it gives it longer half-life. Causes it to stay. I mean, this is my opinion with the pegylation of it, the, the polyethylene glycol, the reason this is so problematic and the reason why so many experts who are blinded by the fact that they think it's mRNA organic don't understand why that makes it so much more dangerous. Now, let's get into his video. And I'll play uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, it's well, I don't think I'll play the whole thing, but I want to play a couple parts of this. And this is this is important. So remember, we're talking about spike protein circulating up to 100, oh, first of all, 187 days afterward. Of course, it's 187. I find that ridiculous. But what that really means, and, and, and the bigger point overall of this is there are still people arguing that's fake news. There are still people saying that the spike protein stays in your arm, if you can actually believe that. And the fact that it circulates so long after is a guarantee that it's causing problems. That's not the way it's supposed to work, even by their own understanding of it that it looks. But here is the important point. Vax spike light lasts for over 180 days. I'll tell you what, there are a number of researchers across the world who are doing and asking the hard questions. And one of them was at our recent conference. Uh, It's Dr. Carlo Brogner and his team. He's from Italy. He was specifically presenting about um, bacteriophage properties of the spike protein or the viral spike protein or even the vaccine spike protein with regards to making toxins in the gut and entering the bloodstream. So very, very important research. And that's a lot of what he was talking about then. But he has just been involved himself and his team, which is from across different parts of Europe, a very, very important paper. I'm going to go through the paper and this is what essentially it's about they are essentially looking at the detection of spike protein in a vaccinated cohort. So this is it here, and I'll go through it in a little bit more detail. Detection of recombinant spike protein in the blood of individuals vaccinated against SARS-CoV-2, possible molecular mechanisms. This was done, published on the 31st of August, 2023. So this is why I'm talking about it today. I'm giving you this stuff 
as soon as it comes off the press, if I can find it. And so it's because of the connection. I, have, I was lucky to get this information through some of the um, the other speakers, George M., who has coordinated uh, a lot of the speakers for the last conference. And so it's very valuable for us to look at that. Before I go any further, though, I'd like to remind you that next week, Thursday, I'm doing my presentation on the infertility vax nightmare. We're going to get into the infertility as well today, and it has to do with uh, specifically the lipid nanoparticles or nanoparticles in general. If you remember, we were doing a breakdown on nanoparticles in a general sense as far back as 2020 using NIH studies, which, by the way, I wasn't able to find today. We'll get into that in a minute. But just, you know, and Dr. Peter McCullough is making a big statement about that today. Thank God. You know, the idea that nanoparticles in general are dangerous, let alone the lipid nanoparticles with PEG and everything else we're talking about, mRNA, spike protein. It's almost, this thing is, it seems like everything else almost aimed at infertility, which is kind of perfect with what people believe is happening, or some people anyway. Um, spike lasts for over 120 days. So we go back to the paper here. And in this paper, um, what we have is that this paper, they were looking specifically at mRNA vaccines, okay? And they were looking at what happens to the spike protein after it's injected. Now, these were small cohorts, um, 20 who are vaccinated, 20 who have been thoroughly answered. I this probably was an early assumption based on the animal models or something. I'm not sure. But how can that question not have been thoroughly answered? I cannot understand protein after it's injected. Now, these were... I just, that, the point is right there asking is, you know, where the spike protein ends up. You know, and this, this is one of the things that we've been talking about is they, oh, well, we had to rush because you were all going to die. Well, no, that's not true. And I think we all know they knew that wasn't true because it was a lie based on Neil Ferguson and the 3.4 and I mean, everything. So the point is they should have tested, which we'll get into again in a minute after this, where this ended up. And, and especially right now. And that's what a lot of these studies are coming from is that people are doing their due diligence going, look, we need to find out where this goes and why it's not ending up in your shoulder. Right. And the point is that people are so far past this people in the agenda. They're just hoping you don't look back. Right. This should have been done beforehand. This is dangerous, along with a hundred other things that weren't done, even though they pretend it was the most studied and safe thing ever done in history of vaccination, even though it's not a vaccine. Small cohorts, um, 20 who are vaccinated, 20 who are unvaccinated, but one can extrapolate what it means. And most critically, the question is, why was this research not done by the industry early on? We were told quite categorically that the vaccine stays exactly where it was supposed to be in the deltoid muscle after injection. It seems as though they didn't check. And this. Or they lied, which I think we know for sure. I mean, that there's some we knew this. If I could put this out in 2021, they knew that. Probably was an early assumption based on the animal models or something. I'm not sure. But how can that question not have been thoroughly answered. I cannot understand how regulators missed not doing the checks. There were so many people vaccinated. Again, not missed, right? Especially when we get into the military overlap, 
We realized what military countermeasures and Sasha Latipova's argument. I'll show you Destiny and my interviews with Destiny Resendez and the, the reality that this is something much bigger than that. And that's why even we had FDA pe- members of FDA resign in protest and didn't change anything. Right. We had I mean, there's there has been example after example, this process that show you at some level, these people didn't know that. So they thought they were going, what are you talking about? We can't allow this to go forward. And they resign in protest does anyway, because it's a theater show. As far as I can tell, it had nothing to do with safety or testing or the regulatory agencies or they're completely captured. However, you want to look at it, because the point was this is unprecedented at every single level. And then again, when you make sure you understand that from the beginning, they knew this was less than the flu. And from the beginning, they knew that it was not a risk to most people. Like the point was that this was a pushed lie based on fear to drive you into taking something that they probably knew was not like that was the experiment at some level. I just don't know how we don't see that by now. 13 billion doses and nobody thought to check to see what happens to the spike protein after injection. So. Let's just show a little bit about what it is that they were specifically looking at. So I have here, this is an image from the paper. They show here the injection site. The mRNA vaccines are being injected. They then get into the muscle to produce muscle cells, to produce spike protein here. And the spike protein is picked up by antigen-presenting cells, which will then stimulate other B cells and T cells to become reactive to the spike protein. Perfect. Inside the cell, this here would represent the mRNA. And so this mRNA then, this is a ribosome, these two gray areas here, then take this and they make the spike protein. Now, critically, what's different with the... And don't forget what that is, is that's, that is the injection training your body to make that and that's the bigger issue here is not just that it makes a lot of them and it circulates but it's training your body to make them and more than one and indefinitely as it seems or at the very least a long time and what ultimately is happening in one of many different things that are happening that are hurting people because of this it your body ends up attacking itself I mean, there's so many ways we can get into this about autoimmune attack or, again, auto antibody dependent enhancement, molecular mimicry, pathogen to priming. All these things are slightly different in their own ways, but in general, same concept, your body hurting itself based on a failure of what this is or, you know, designed that way, however you want to look at it. The spike protein between the infection, natural infection and the mRNA vaccines is that they produced two proline substitutions. Hold on, let me go back just a touch because what he's getting into is important that they're, you know, the differences between what the, that's why they try to tell you it's not the same thing. Yeah, it's this is the same spike protein that is cytotoxic that's in whatever we tell they tell us we're dealing with here, which very well could just be a virus sized transistor or something that they made themselves. And the, all, remember, all the differences are only the proline uh, 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 optimization. Where we talked about this when they came out with the new, you know, they, they pointed out the community differences and whatever else, and they acted like it was not different. Well, it really is. There's a lot of differences that make a big difference with anybody that cares to be honest about this. And the mRNA vaccines is that they produced two between the inf- then take this and they make the spike protein. Now, critically, what's different with the, the spike protein between the infection, natural infection, and the mRNA vaccines is that they produced two proline substitutions at position 986 and 987 
in the mRNA spike protein. And they did this because it oh, seems that... you know that what? I said optimization. That, that's codon optimization I was thinking of. Anyway, substitutions is what he's saying. They were anticipating the potential of an autoimmune response, and they were trying to prevent the receptor binding domain from being so easily bound to ACE2. Exactly what I've said, autoimmunity. Now, I have. So, what he's saying is that they designed this. The reason they changed it was not for whatever narrative they were spinning, but because they were already aware that the design was potentially going to cause autoimmune issues which we're all seeing now. We talked about Rennick and the pushing them to admit that myocarditis was happening because of an autoimmune issue and the fact that we're seeing that fleshed out and proven everywhere. I mean, in a, I mean, probably legitimately, like five different ways I've seen studies connect the idea of these things causing autoimmune issues or immune issues in general. And so they're say, he's saying they added the, pro, the proline uh, um, addition substitutions to make the, to lessen the ability for it to adhere to the H2 uh, by, um, protein or I'm blanking all the terms off to my head. The point is that it's it's changed it in order to make it less likely to cause autoimmune issues, according to this doctor and according to the study or his interpretation of it. I mean, look, whether whether or not we have this input, that seems pretty likely based on what they've already done, the actions they've already taken or adding things that seem to suggest they know that it'll cause heart problems. Right. I mean, it's very clear. So how do we not see it as an experiment if they're literally changing this to stop the thing they pretend isn't happening? I have here an image as to what was the difference between the AstraZeneca, um, which was the um, the adenovirus vector platform, and the Pfizer spike protein. And I've effectively got on here that at this point, um, you have a situation. Uh, let me just make sure my pointer is clear. So you have a situation here where the proline substitutions are added in. This is an estimation, not exactly. And so this would have an impact on how ACE2 is bound. So there's a slight difference between the two. And it's this that they were looking for when they were trying to differentiate between the spike protein, the mRNA spike protein, versus spike protein, say, from natural infection. So that was the important point that the research was looking at. And they were trying to clarify this essentially critical question. So if they are, if they made it different to stop it from being more likely to cause autoimmune issues, obviously they knew that was a possibility. They lied to us about that. But that might be one of the larger reasons why some of these experts would argue that they know that that's not dangerous. But the same spike protein with one minor proline substitution difference is super, super dangerous for the biggest pandemic of our lifetimes, because that's obviously the main point of what they say makes this dangerous over here in COVID-19 land. But one proline substitution later and suddenly this thing's benign. (laughs) That's obviously not true. And we've proven that based on the Salk Institute and plenty of other research. But that's again, it's like these people saying it's mRNA. Therefore, we know that it goes away immediately. It's these experts that are actually out there towing these lines might actually just believe the lie they're being told by the liars like Pfizer and everybody else. The point is that we know for sure the spike protein in this is dangerous. And I say that for sure, being in the sense that the studies have shown that. But, you know, you can argue whether all that's fake or not. The bottom line is that that is the narrative wise showing you that they're just hiding the facts right in front of us and continuing to pretend like this thing is just not dangerous because we say so despite all of the evidence. And we're baffled by it. We're baffled by literally every problem everywhere exploding and more excess death everywhere exploding in vaccinated areas. And we're baffled though. And what, how long until we, this just collapsed in on itself? I mean, I think that's already happening. So um, I'll bring you back to the image here. And you can see here that what they found 
here, and this is in days after vaccination. So this blue box here is days after vaccination. And you can see here that in terms of days, the lowest number of days that they found in that cohort of 20 was 69 days. Well, it looks a little bit, yeah, 69 days here, up to 187 here. Of course, 187. So that... Let me see if there's more point here. Well, they were again looking specific nine days to 187 around in the bloodstream. And it's likely to not be the full spike protein. It's like to be fragments of circulating the spike. vaccine spike proteins. You know, the ones that Red Cross still pretends aren't real because they're liars may cause organ damage. Fake news, though. Spike protein. What happens if it gets lodged in the brain or in the kidney or in the lungs or in the heart? All of which it's been found in both lipid nanoparticles and mRNA. And the lipid nanoparticles contain the mRNA, and the mRNA contains the instructions to make spike protein. So if they're found everywhere in your body, which has been, I've, I've seen three different peer-reviewed studies that find autopsies, and it's all over every organ in the body, including Pfizer's own data on lipid nanoparticles, found it concentrated in the spleen and reproductive organs. We've all seen that. It's just, just as simple as that. And all they go, oh, well, that, that proline substitution, so it's totally safe. Nope, it's totally not. And based on all the science that shows them having reactions like this, I mean, ask, explain this. How can that be benign and, and not dangerous if they admit myocarditis is being caused by the vaccine? I mean, it's caught. There's a problem here. And it, it's, it's it's it's. I mean, I, I want, I'm curious what you guys think in general. How much of this is us just screaming and everyone else nodding along? Like how many people actually disagree with how obvious this is? I, I mean, I really wonder that. Like, are we just all in agreement and there's a couple of screamers out there that don't want to admit they're wrong and all it would take for us to change this is just us to realize that 99% of us see this? I don't know. I hope so. But I just don't know how we cannot realize how clear this is. All of these questions are extremely important to try and clarify. What implications does that have long term? Which is in theory the most... Well, make sure you watch the full video and give him some support. I think he's doing good work. Here's the study itself, just really quickly to go over some of the points. As it says, the specific spike fragment was found in 50% of the biological samples analyzed, and its presence was independent of the SARS-CoV-2 IgG antibody titer, meaning that it was from the injection. 50%. And there's a lot of these, I mean, just it, the idea that you can just credit right, pluck somebody out of the, the group and half of them are going to have circulating spike protein, which, by the way, sheds, and we'll get into that in a minute. Ask your, I mean, think about what's happening. That, how, how is that not the self-spreading concept? And are we all susceptible to it? I mean, this is concerning to me. I'm not trying to fear monger, but this is based on science, peer-reviewed. Doesn't mean we should blindly trust it, but think about it. The minimum and maximum time was detected after vaccination was 69 and 187 days, respectively. But I'll show you the study that finds it circulating within the first hour. So we pretty much can prove, based on the peer-reviewed science, that we can find this immediately, which this study also adds a point to say that, but can go that the studies last six months and you find it for six months, which suggests that it's there longer, which is what Dr. Peter McCullough has argued, that it seems like it's probably just there possibly forever. And we'll show you the study that discusses that. But it says. The control group, 20 unvaccinated people were also tested after contracting COVID-19. And we're negative for spike. So what that shows you is that the whatever you think COVID-19 is, they got sick from it. And didn't have any residual spike protein, right? So even what's the danger? What's the what's the real weapon here? What's the real risk? Something less than the flu, 
that might as well be the flu or something that causes these dangerous things that are all the point of this to continue to be made and shed and cause illness. That seems pretty easy to to pull out of that. But it says some studies have observed the presence of vaccine spike protein immediately after injection. Now, that's an interesting point. That says immediately. How is that even possible? How could you have spike protein immediately if the whole point is it has to deliver the mRNA, create the instructions and so on? Well, I'll let you guys decide for yourself. I'll show you a study after the, or you know, maybe right now, since I, that's the fair point to overlap it with. This is from 2022. Circulating sar- se- severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2, SARS-CoV-2, vaccine antigen detected in the plasma of MR- mRNA-1273 vaccine recipients. That's Moderna. And, as, and you, as you remember, 11 of 13 showed detectable levels of SARS-CoV-2 protein as early as one day after vaccination. So immediately is even crazier. So it might mean that there's something going on that we don't understand. Maybe there's something more to this that's happening. Maybe there's maybe the entire concept of this we're being lied to about, or maybe they had spike protein before, or maybe they just mean within the first day. You guys can decide. But it says other authors have isolated vaccine messenger RNA sequences or modified RNA sequences from peripheral plasma after 28 days after injection. Yep. Are you listening, Red Cross? Are you listening? Because you're being called out right now over and over about the reality that you're lying about this as they still argue that they do not label blood products as containing vaccinated or unvaccinated blood because they're literally still saying that it does not enter the bloodstream. Imagine being this willfully ignorant. Imagine being this far behind the information when you're controlling the largest blood supply in this country and forcing people to take it even though they've got unvaccinated donors, the hospitals anyway. Two children have died after that. They just pretend like it would have happened anyway. Think about how crazy that is. And here's the study they're pointing at. Here's the link for you. Peer-reviewed. 2023. SARS-CoV-2 spike mRNA vaccine sequences circulate the blood up to 28 days after COVID-19 vaccination. They still won't respond. They still won't change their policy. And I said yet another. And we can add this one, which I'll, I'll do afterward, actually. I'll add this one, too. Finds that another peer-reviewed study finds you're wrong. How is it that we can know this and yet you're still standing by this statement? You are putting people in danger. You are accountable for this action or lack thereof. In an honest world, maybe they would actually go to jail for something like this, but we'll have to wait and see. But the reality is they know that they're wrong. So now we've got the major study finding it up to six months afterward that 50% of people have this circulating in their blood and that we know that it happens within, within the first day and continues to be made. And here's the major study from 2022 finding that it does, in fact, continue to do so. Sustained synthesis of the spike protein over and over. And this is why we talk about the self-amplifying vaccine that this actually is, guys. Their own data from Pfizer listed it as self-amplifying in the beginning. B2, what uh, was it? B2, I forget the exact, the, the original one. B2, 6, 2B2, whatever it is. That was listed as self-amplifying on Pfizer's original documentation. Doesn't say that now. I'm convinced that's what this actually is because it continues to be made. It continues to do so. Now, self-spreading becomes something that goes outside, and maybe that's what this actually ended up being anyway. But it goes on to say, impairs DNA, results in impaired innate immunity, lymphocytopenia, as well as increases of diseases, cancers. Yeah, we're seeing all of that, backed up by peer-reviewed science, but no, none of the trust the science crowd want to consider that. <clears throat> well, here's another point. Dr. Kevin McKernan, who I'm, I really would love to have on the show, so make sure you let him know that. I've, he, we've, I've reached out to him, but I know he's a busy guy. He's the one that's been really focusing on the idea of the DNA contamination, the SV40 overlap. 
That's where the turbo cancer conversation is coming from. As, and then just the general point of how they're already trying to sidestep this and going, well, 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 it's probably just the spike protein. Okay, well, if they're admitting that they think maybe the spike protein is the problem while simultaneously screaming you down for saying it's not the problem, you know what I mean? So there's people over here saying, where was it? Just in general saying the spike protein is different, right? That's we changed it. It's, it's benign. It's the COVID-19 version that's dangerous. And as usual, talking on the other side of their mouth going, well, maybe that's the problem. So we need to change it. And that's what they're just slowly going. But let's realize that, again, Dr. Retzef Levy pointing out science.org peer-reviewed study that, as in his opinion, and I've re- reviewed it myself, and that's what I wrote this, did this show on, study finds mRNA platform itself is driving myocarditis. Maybe not the only thing, but is definitely involved, according to the study, implies that future mRNA-based vaccines would have the same risk. Right? So they're going, well, let's just change the thing we're focusing on. Well, that's not the point. If you understand that study, and that's probably part of it. Well, you have actually been doing some really remarkable work looking at what's actually in these COVID genetic vaccines. And uh, most recently, um, there's been a lot of chatter around SV40, this the simian virus or simian virus promoter. So why don't we jump in? Actually, I'm going to start with uh, with an AP fact check. This was so important that it warranted an AP fact check. AP's assessment is that it's false that is there is uh, simian virus SV40 in the in the vaccines. Public health officials and the lead researcher of a study cited in many of the social media posts say there's no monkey virus DNA in the inoculations approved by the government regulators. Some COVID-19 vaccines utilize DNA molecules derived from simian virus 40, but that's not the same as the virus itself, and the molecules aren't cancer-causing. That's it. What's your reaction? We did put a preprint out on, on this, which never said that the entire virus was present in the vaccines. We said that the promoter and the enhancer and, and um, the origin was in there, along with the poly A signal. So it seems as if the AP has erected a straw man argument where they are trying to debunk something that was never said. Oh, well, look at that. Isn't that something we always point out? They love to do that. Here's this random Facebook post that said something he never said, and then we're going to point at that. Break this down and say, see, Kevin's wrong. (laughs) Really excellent journalism, AP. Like, this is the kind of childish, and I mean, like, irresponsibly child. Like, they'll come out and completely lie about what they're doing. And I'm, there's no way that these grown up journalists don't realize what they're doing. Like, or, 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 I mean, gosh, even worse, if they literally didn't even read the article and broke down what they were told he was saying, I mean, that, be honest, that really wouldn't surprise me today. But think about how ridiculous that is. And these are the, you know, high level journalists out there that are blindly going. Yes. Yeah. That seems to be largely becoming very real. And that, you know, some of these more people out there, not all of them, maybe more professional, but largely when you get to the real, you know, the Fox CNN level, (laughs) these people are, are ridiculous and sadly think they are the top of their field. It's really embarrassing. And I'm not saying that because I'm doing something different. I'm saying because it's obvious. They're out there subjectively assuming about partisan talking points. That's what journalism is today for most of these people. And so again, Associated Press, we're supposed to be the high, one of the higher aspects of this, where most of those garbage platforms get their news from, Associated Press, Reuters, and so on. That's the propaganda multiplier we've talked about. But did they fact check something he didn't even said, or he didn't even say? 
I mean, it's just, it, it's, why can't people recognize? Anyway, I could go off forever. It just, it makes me laugh because we always point that out. Um, and, uh, and so that, that's, that's my first comment. My, my second comment uh, where they are trying to make claims that this is not cancer causing. Well, there are guidelines that are written by Keith Pettin at the FDA that govern how much DNA can be in a vaccine. And those are all based on DNA integration risks. Um, so the FDA has the answer for them. They merely need to go look at Keith Pedden's work. Um, there are limits on how much DNA can be in a vaccine precisely because of the, of the concern over DNA integration. Now, I will add that um, what the AP should probably look into here is the time frame in which Keith Pedden evaluated how much DNA could be in these vaccines didn't consider that the DNA could be in a lipid nanoparticle, which would make it a lot more effective at getting into the cell. Yep. And this is where we go over the Charles Lieber research using the fatty lipid wire to allow it to enter the cell. Right. So that's the same point. That's why that research connects. It is the same research overlapping with Robert Langer as well. The point being that this is something that is happening. And so he's been calling this out for a while now. The idea that just because they say that the that they argue that it doesn't like end up in your genome, like the DNA issue we've talked about from the very beginning. But based on the technology, and now that we're proving that there is some DNA overlap, well, the lipid nanoparticle is bringing this into your cells. I mean, that's what he's arguing. I mean, he, this guy knows what he's talking about. It, it, so do a lot of people that are pointing this out. And yet they just don't engage with it. It also didn't consider if the DNA had particular sequences that might, might help it get to the nucleus of the cell. So there's two there's two additional things going on that mean the DNA that's in these vaccines is more likely to get to the nucleus and integrate into the genome Yikes. than than the information they had at hand when they came to those regulations. They were assuming the DNA in the shots previously were host cell DNA. Like so, again, based on an assumption, because you know science. They're basing so they have the old study that says that's the level you're allowed to reach. But then, based on the assumption that these things aren't able to do what he's talking about, then they they argue they meet it. But when you realize because of the new technology and the lipid nanoparticle advancement that that number they're pointing at is no longer valid because these things are, have a much faster way of getting inside of your cells into your genome. It's pretty simple ultimately. And so the point is, I think they know that. At some level, somebody knows that. And then the people that are out there on Fox and CNN shouting you down as conspiracy theorists are the ones believing the narrative and think that makes sense because they're told something that's not ultimately true or they don't have all the information. Maybe you grew the vaccine in, in some type of uh, monkey kidney cell or something. Um, and as a result of this, there's background monkey DNA or background human DNA, whatever the host cell line is that they use. Uh, we have something very different going on here. We have a, ver a, a well-known promoter that's used in gene therapy that's inside the vaccines that's getting injected through an LNP that makes it very effective at transfecting cells. And then it has a signal in there that drives that DNA to the nucleus. I don't think Keith Pettin had. A How do you not hear that as intentional? I mean, really think about what he just said. Like, because of the lipid nanoparticle, it's able to get inside the cell where it wasn't able to before. And because of the thing they add to that, it's able to go all the way to the, G the, 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 the nucleus or whatever. He I'll play it again. Like, think about that. Are we really going to pretend that was a series of, of accidental choices that led to it working perfectly the way that... I mean, come on. That, that is a design, at least as it sounds to me. A signal in there that drives that DNA to the a nucleus. Signal. I don't think Keith Pettin had anticipated that when he came up with these 10 nanogram limits of DNA. So I'd say the verdict is still out as to whether or not they can be cancer-causing, but it's the risk is certainly elevated from what the FDA's guidelines have been constructed off of. Well, and so yeah. I want to... I like Kevin because he's very objective, right? I mean, what he just said right there is, is, is very objective and honest. 
right? But I mean, I think you can tell very clearly in my opinion, based on what he just showed you, that these things are likely. And that, and then we're seeing turbo cancers and everything else. So I just, I appreciate that, right? That's what we need to be doing. Bring it down a little bit and kind of simplify slightly what you said. Um, what I want to talk about is just how uh, something like this could become cancer causing. And it's precisely the fact that it can actually get into the cells in the first place, right? So I don't think that's actually accurate. I think it's more so about the fact that it gets into the cell makes it all the more damaging, right? Like the idea being that these things in general are able to increase your risk of cancer. But the fact that it enters the cell and is designed to go all the way into the signal, brings it to the center, that seems to be the reason it's turbo cancer as opposed to just be creating cancers. Um, explicitly, out my, my opinion. Oh, dang it. Sorry about that. The risk is certain. Well, and so I want to bring what you said, um, something like this could become cancer causing. And it's precisely the fact that it can actually get into the cells in the first place. Right. So um, explain that process. Like why, what would make this cancer causing if indeed it were found to be? Because, for example, right, we are seeing this higher incidence of the so-called turbo cancers and rare cancers appearing in people post post the rollout of these genetic vaccines. There's a signal there that people are wondering about. So the, um, Bob Weinberg does a lot of work in this space. Uh, he's kind of written the book on viral integration into the genome causing cancer. Many tumors uh, will, will actually, if you survey their sequence, you'll find there's SV40 DNA sequence in there from, the, from SV40 viruses or, and also from other viruses. So viruses are known to oftentimes integrate to your genome and disrupt your genome, and which can lead to this genome instability that can then create a, a cell line that kind of grows out of control. Um, so the concern here is if this DNA integrates the genome, what, one portion of the SV40 sequence that's in there is an SV40 promoter. It's a very strong promoter. Uh, which means it drives transcription wherever it lands in the genome. If this happens to drop itself in front of a proto-oncogene uh, and drives a lot of expression off of a gene that's known to, if you hyperexpress it, um, turn the cell cancerous, then we have a concern that that, that DNA is, uh, in fact, doing that. Um, so th there's two concerns. There's, there's promoters in this vaccine from SV40, and there's an, a 72 base pair enhancer, which is uh, David Dean has shown is a very potent tool for moving DNA into the nucleus. So in the right. right. Again, that sounds very deliberate. Like you added the thing that needs to be able to, to bring it to the nucleus. I mean, that, I mean, how do we not hear that? That does not sound like something you accidentally do. And it just so happens to create the exact thing that will lead this to work just the way we all fear that it would. Next to each other. So if this DNA moves into the nucleus and it drags a promoter with it and that integrates in front of a gene, it can disrupt gene regulation and potentially lead to, um, to oncogenesis. Now, with that said, I don't think this is the only thing that might be causing this turbo right. cancer effect that people are seeing right now. The cancers are certainly going up right now, and that's a concern. Um, people have tried to pin this on maybe it was reduction in screening. However, the cancers that are being that we're seeing at greater frequency right now are not cancers that are traditionally screened for very heavily. Right. So I don't think that's actually the answer. Or, or the fact that what we're talking about, like with the heart overlap, is the idea that these aren't things that are have gotten worse, let's say. Right. These are things that the people that had no issue before and over the process of a year suddenly exploded with cancers or all of a sudden had a heart problem. And they, 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 not just, they didn't just miss their update or miss their their their, you know, appointment with the doctor like that. But that's how they're trying to make that sound. And if he can point this out, the rest of them know this. So there, there's a level of dishonesty throughout all of the way they're covering these things up. Um, but we do have a risk of potential DNA integration. 
We also have a risk that um, we've seen in the Pfizer trial that there's an induction of lymphocytopenia and neutropenia. Those are yep. those are white blood cells. So patients after vaccination have lower white blood cells, which you need to clear out cells that are misbehaving, like cancer cells. And the third thing, there's been some... So not only does it have a mechanism, a signal that brings it to the nucleus, which makes this all work exactly, but it also has the ability to create your immune system, like to create lymphocytopenia, as you pointed out, that, that from the cancer post from Swiss policy research, right? So it's multi-pronged, and it's it seems like it's designed to do exactly that. Not only enter to make it cause cancer, but then already on the other side of it, restoring your immune system so it takes effect even more. <laughs> I mean... You, you, you can't access, you can't trip this many times and get it to work this perfectly. Some work in a few papers showing um, that the spike protein itself may get to the nucleus and disrupt regulation of P53 and BRCA1. BRCA1 <laughs> people are probably familiar with because of breast cancer genes, but P53 is also another guardian of the genome, if you will. These are genes that clean up uh, genomes that have been broken or have integration events. So they are the things that go and clean up these broken cell lines. So if you have all three of those happening, you know, in potentially increased integration risks, white blood cell reduction, and, and spike protein inhibiting the genes that are meant to clean up this type of problem, the combination of those things certainly could make sense uh, for uh, and, and be tied to the, the rise in cancer that we're currently seeing. Let's just briefly talk about the lipid nanoparticles, because I understand they are also, aside from being, you know, incredibly good at getting through barriers that the body has set up to avoid things getting through, they're also quite toxic, as I understand. So could there be a role with, from the lipid nanoparticles? It's possible as well. So um, Mark Giordo does some very interesting work on looking at what transfection of the epithelium can do. And if you over if you overburden that process, you can create a lot of these leaky membranes, which can explain a lot of the adverse effects. Now, what's missing from both of the trials is no one really ran a vehicle control, which is what happens if you just transfect people with LNPs, these lipid nanoparticles, without any mRNA at all? Well, he's right. They didn't do that. Like they didn't do most of what they claim they always do ever. Like they just this is the and all of it stems back to the concern because this is so dangerous, which we now know wasn't true. And they knew that wasn't true. So this that was just the hype to scare you, to not make you let you know and not hope that you didn't notice they skipped all these important steps that would have otherwise found what they didn't want you to see. Another aspect that's that clear or the fact like they skipped the animal studies in the beginning, which was where you would have found the antibody dependent enhancement issue, which we later found. It's just that it's all of these things were coordinated, it seems. But I mean, so the lipid nanoparticle concentration, as I'll show you next, is dangerous, not because not just the lipid nanoparticle aspect, but the nanoparticle issue in general. And they've studied this. So they know that, which means that's why they didn't do this test, because they would have found that those things are going to hurt you by themselves anyway. I'll show you next. What happens to, to people in that case? Uh, we don't know the answer to that. And so I think it's a very important point you're hitting on here, because I think in a year from now, there'll be more of a scientific consensus that spike protein was a bad idea. Maybe we should switch this to a different protein, or maybe we should use this platform to hit RSV or flu. Uh, Which is what they're already doing. And we should scream and run from that just like anything else. That's going to be a way, in my opinion, to sidestep the failure now and act like it was that that was the problem. Or, you know, maybe they'll blame Trump like I keep seeing. I, I, keep, think is, I keep thinking is going to happen soon. Oh, it turns out it was only Trump's fault. And that's why now we're going to be good going forward. Like that's a card they can pull. And I think most people would fall for that.
Well, if we don't know the toxicity of the LMPs alone, that that might be just as dangerous of approach. So we really do need to understand yep. uh, if this transfection idea is a good idea um, to 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 fend off a respiratory virus. I think many people have argued that. And so that's the point about the platform. Like, I'm going to leave it there just for time. But the point is the platform, right? That is the lipid nanoparticle, right? The mRNA instruction. And ultimately, all you're doing is changing the mRNA instruction to deliver that's the instructions for a different protein. So that all they just pump out a new sequence and they add that that's the plug and play platform for Moderna's website that they were all talking about that they know now they've deleted. And we have to go to the way back machine to show you because it's very clear plug and play. Your body is the operating system, you know, or however the terms they used. And they, this is about just adding the new thing. So if we now know that the lipid nanoparticles themselves are dangerous, well, in everything else as well. The platform is the problem or part of it seems pretty clear. Well, going back to the point about the spike protein in general. Here, this is the conversation from 2021. No, COVID vaccines don't stay in your body for years. Well, you may argue years, I disagree, but it just says vaccines are cleared from your body in mere days or weeks. It's the immune response against SARS-CoV-2 that appears to last false. See, so my point is that how many things that these people, these liars, these screamers were wrong about or didn't care to check it's funny how we can be called fake news conspiracy theorists and you can look back at all the things the corporate media were stressing that we now know for absolute certainty were fake or wrong or they didn't even know when they were saying it. It, it says this isn't due to the vaccines themselves remaining in the body. Liars. Or they don't know they're wrong. This one. Where's the date on it? I lost 2021. What, what stops the body from continuing to produce the COVID-19 spike protein after getting an mRNA vaccine? Dr. Hank Bernstein explains how the mRNA from the COVID vaccine is broken down and removed from the body. False. I mean, that arguably, I think, just happens at a much longer... See, that's the point, is he's saying mRNA, so he doesn't even know that it's, mo it's M1-methylpseudouridine-modified RNA, and that's the point. That's why it lasts longer. So he's going to be wrong in his assumption based on mRNA and how fast that goes away. But even then, it continues to make spike protein. So once, it, even if that gets flushed, which is already problematic, your lipid nanoparticles residual in your body, or the fact that we have the autopsy that show mRNA in your organs well after the fact. So clearly that's not even true. My guess is because of their modification that it stays possibly longer or forever. Dr. Peter McCullough said something similar. Here's a fact check from 2021. COVID-19 vaccines using mRNA, which they don't, by the way, do, mod RNA, do not send the immune system into perpetual overdrive by instructing cells to create spike protein over and over again. Except they totally do, and you're absolutely wrong about that. Since sustained synthesis. This one finding now 106 months, or this one right away, but this one six months. All the, that's a Reuters fact check that's aggressively wrong, and they don't care. Fact check 2021. No evidence spike proteins from COVID-19 vaccines are toxic. <laughs> yeah, that, that one aged really well. That's what we were just talking about. I mean, I could show you all the different examples, but I don't think I even need to. I think that's pretty generally accepted today. And then let's also realize that we've talked a lot about the fact that the spike protein does definitely shed. That's based on the expert, and I mean the expert, Dr. Luigi Warren, and the fact that if we now know that it's continually made, and we now know that it goes on and continues to be made for at least six months, his argument that it doesn't, it won't hurt anybody because it only shed, it's such a small amount that it wouldn't hurt anybody, obviously was based on mRNA and the fact that it only makes one. So he was also buying what they were telling him because how do we know? 
Everybody did because they were lying to us. So he's an expert. He's going, well, the CDC said, right? But if it's sustained and keeps making it, he says, it's certainly true that people vaccinated with mRNA vaccines do shed spike protein. But he says, but in minuscule amounts. But now we know that's not true. And even if it is in minuscule amounts, it continually spreads minuscule amounts. So yes, it can hurt people. So we have everything we now know, and I should have known this entire time. Let's add just the general concept of the lipid nanoparticles being dangerous. And we'll get into the potential of all of this being a self-spreading concept again for the thousandth time. But Peter McCullough points out this graphic published by Wang et al. before COVID-19 vaccines were unleashed shows where the lipid nanoparticles go in the body. We actually showed you this article before. First of all, we'll play a clip from Jessica, Dr. Jessica Rose, PhD. According to Dr. Jessica Rose, it was known 11 years ago that lipid nanoparticles traveled from the site of injection to places like the ovaries, which Pfizer's own study showed, and they lied about it, in animal trials, which is, that's why they skipped them, largely. Why was public health messaging saying the contents of the COVID-19 injection stayed in the injection site when they knew that wasn't true? Well, we know why. It's just we're just waiting on all the children out there to admit that they were lied to or that we know that they're now wrong. I've reviewed uh, show uh, a um, more people are ending up in the hospital uh, and dying in the, the group that were injected. Um, there are also a number of problems with repeat injections that are related to um, issues of tolerance by the immune system. Um it seems like there, there's a, a very clear story developing now that um, that tolerance is being induced uh, by repeated uh, exposure to the spike antigen. And basically what that means is that you're, you're not going to be mounting any kind of immune response to that protein or anything related to it. So basically, if you're exposed to this uh, to this virus, uh, challenged by it, then you're not going to mount an effective immune response. And... So I, I'm, I'm not sure I agree that these products have saved many lives. I, um, I'm much more focused on uh, the damages that they've done. That's I maintain categorically that these things have likely saved nobody's lives. I, you, I mean, this is, I, I, I was one of the early ones to jump out and be like, look, these things are dangerous for everybody. And I feel like we knew that based on the science. And thank God a lot of these larger experts have come around to the same talking point. But the bottom line is, if these things are as dangerous as we seem to be very easily proving, how are they beneficial to anybody? Even if you think it has an effect against the not less than the flu thing. <laughs> that's the whole point. They are, well, that's dangerous. So at least it affects. No, it's not, though. It's less than the flu based on a peer-reviewed study that shows pre-vaccination infection fatality rate was less than the flu. 0.03 under 59, 0.07 under 69. 94% of the population is in that category, right? So the bottom line is, if you give them something that causes one in 35 myocarditis, which in and of itself is more dangerous than the less than the flu, but add on everything else. I mean, come on. I mean, I think she knows that too. And I think she's just being, you know, diplomatic here with whoever she's talking to, but it's very clear, guys. We need to understand that. That's my opinion. But you guys can look at the research. I'm hoping it's as clear as it is to you as it is to me. These are dangerous for everybody. I don't see a benefit for anybody. So that's my meat. That's what I'm primarily focused on because I, I, I don't think that the people who are injured um, have a voice. Uh, it's been taken away from them. And I, I want to be a voice for them. So this is my focus. Uh, it seems to me that this knowledge that spike could be potentially cytotoxic 
was probably known somewhat in the scientific literature before mm -hmm. we decided to go ahead. So I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm glad that some of these people are seeing this, but I, I mean, ask yourself, guys, how are these people on this panel? You know, the experts, the ones that are supposed that are, are, are just, uh, we were, how is it possible that we can talk about this? Very easily break down. Well, clearly, I mean, I could show the Salk Institute and other studies in 2021 going, yep, <laughs> there it is. Slider toxic, dangerous. And only now are people kind of going, well, it appears to us that they don't, I don't know. I mean, I think there's this kind of lockstep to the industry, you know, that experts trust experts and they believe that they're smart. So they trust the smart thing the CDC says. And it, honest people even fall for this stuff. I mean, I don't, it just blows me away. And thank God we're finally seeing it. I'm not trying to, dis uh, to, to uh, belittle anybody up here because I get it. They can fall into trusting people they think are smart. But at the end of the day, we've known this from the very beginning. And what he's saying is they knew this in the literature to begin with. So yet again, another example that this was done to you with something dangerous. Why is it that it was dismissed or ignored? I can't imagine that the people who are working on this didn't hypothesize that since the modus operandi of this technology is to induce uh, an immune response, an inflammatory response against the spike protein, that they wouldn't have anticipated that um, wherever the spike was going to be presented on MHC molecules or embedded in, in whatever cell, that an immune response wasn't going to be mounted in order to kill those cells, and that would cause, in some people, hyperinflammation. I mean, this comes back to the original trials where the exclusion criteria lists were so long. They discounted people with pre-existing autoimmune conditions, for example, and uh, a lot of these have to do with hyperinflammation or, or uh, a hyperinflamed state. So it could be, this is one of the things that I've um, hypothesized, that we're seeing the worst effects of these products in people who had pre-existing conditions, like some kind of hyperinflamed state, um, which a lot of people have. So I find it impossible to imagine that they didn't anticipate a potential problem or the potential problem that most people who are reporting adverse events are reporting on. Really quickly, let's not forget, this is what we're talking about. And this is why I want people to understand. You can give them the benefit of the doubt. That's up to you. But realize that they did know because it was already there. It was all the evidence. And I know Jessica knows this as well, that the evidence is present. This was 2021. The study finds specific and significant risk of antibody-dependent enhancement, which is what we're talking about. Reactions after COVID-19. This was, it's very clear. Again, it was from 2020, in fact, but peer-reviewed on 2021. And we, you guys have seen this. Right, that they very clearly find that any of these injections based on the COVID-19 spike protein may worsen COVID-19 disease via antibody-dependent enhancement. And they say very clearly that specific and significant risk, which is always, I point out, that's strong language for a study, not may cause or can be specific and significant. The risk of COVID-19 of antibody, or rather the risk of after the injection of antibody-dependent enhancement should have been and should be prominently and independently individually disclosed to people in the studies, to people recruiting for the studies, or people taking the injections. And if they don't, they're not meeting informed consent. 2020. So this is my point, that they knew it. They disregarded it. They didn't care. Trust the science, but we'll ignore all the science we don't like, or all of it for that matter. And so what she's saying is exactly that, that they, they knew, or, or rather she says, I don't see how they couldn't have known. Well, yeah, you're going to give them something that trains your body to fight something that you're training your body to make. That seems like it's going to work out. 
clearly. Um, and this is the the systemic, notorious damage being done, say, to blood vessels or wherever the spike protein lands, like, like I said. And just to reinforce this, we were explicitly told that the... Um, the contents of the needle were going to remain primarily at the injection site. We, we were really, really, this was hammered home. And they also knew, I want to reiterate this and make this very clear, as we know from the FOIA-requested pharmacokinetic data, and also from a paper, which you can find in the supplementary material in my slides, from, thir- from 11 years ago, that confirms that they they knew this is published in the literature that these uh, types of lipid nanoparticles traffic traffic to the ovaries. And a lot, most of this stuff is published. That's that's why people like us were so far ahead of these stories because we could show you. Well, here's a peer-reviewed study that completely challenges what they're hypothesizing about. But you know, all the people, the 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 people that follow along, would stand up and say, "You're not a scientist. You don't know how to read studies." Well, clearly we do. In the same animals, and the reason we do we do animal models is because we basically have the same organ systems. So traffics to the ovaries in Wistar rats or mice probably traffics to the ovaries in humans, and lo and behold, it does. So and, and again, um, don't forget Pfizer's own data from the trials showed that, and yet they still ignored it. There's a lot of things. I, I know it's a long-winded answer, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of things that they did know, and we know that they knew now because of forced FOIA requests. We we wouldn't know this half of what we know about the data or the the, the studies that they did and didn't do if we weren't asking for this data that they don't want to reveal. And don't forget, that's where the FDA is complicit in the cover-up, where they, they tried to drag this out to 75 years. How do you not see that as actively complicit? That's the FDA trying to stop you from seeing what she's talking about. I dare say that there's a lot that they knew. Um, there's a lot that they they know now, and are they're obfuscating from the public because it would be bad for the program. Right now, here's where Dell Bigtree makes a good point, and you can argue whether this is you know kind of obfuscating the larger issue, or you know the point is at some level he must be right about some of them, which is that there's people that are of the mind that yes, we see a problem, but look, we're all trying to do the right thing, so if we if we point out the problem now, we'll ruin the whole platform, which will be in the greater benefit of society, right? The same kind of logic was used for vaccination before this, that we can't admit that it hurt people because then, well, they won't take it because overall it's good for everybody. Some people believe that. And you may even think that's the truth. Even if you do, you, we all must acknowledge the truth is absolute. They must inform you. Otherwise, it's not informed consent. They don't just get to lie for their greater good, but that's what they're all doing. I still argue it's, that's not even true in general. Right. I, I maintain that it's not about a greater good. I think the people at the crux of this are very aware that it's not a greater good for anybody. That is something much darker and much different than that. Great clip. I, just, I love Jessica Rose. She's doing such good work. You guys should make sure you follow her. Check out what she's doing. Here's the study that Dr. Mercola was pointing at. This one with the wheel. I'll show you a couple quick things from this. 2018, and I believe this is one we've talked about in the past, potential adverse effects of nanoparticles on the reproductive system. Now, there is a lot in here. 
I mean, a lot. I actually ended up removing a bunch of the highlighting because it was going to take forever, but there's a lot of important stuff. I mean, every one of these categories is talking about risks and different issues, indirect paths, and the re- it's all over the place. Just the main points. Previous studies, so even before this study, as she said, even back 11 years, show that nanoparticles, not just lipid nanoparticles, but just nanoparticles, right? Which, by the way, could mean nanotech. Anything the size of a, this size is considered a nanoparticle, but it also it could just mean a, a particle of dust that is that size or a particle of anything that is that size. So it's just a nanoparticle, right? Can accumulate in the testes, prostate gland, and epidemis uh, epi, uh, via blood circulation or direct contact with nanoparticles, causing cytotoxicity. So this is a point I made back in 2020. Nanoparticles in general, they are very aware that this has an effect on your body. And yes, there are varying differences of issues based on what they're, how they're being introduced and what their size are. But overall, very clear. And then even, oh, and then here's the study he shows you breaking this down where they're very aware of this. But this stuff obviously ends up in your DNA damage. I mean, they've known about this forever. Cell apoptosis. And then in general... As mentioned previously, nanoparticles can cause oxidative stress and lead to DNA damage, both in vivo and vitro. And then the main point, nanoparticles can enter the body through several different routes and produce toxicity in different systems, including the reproductive system. At a cellular level, nanoparticles can induce infertility by altering the activity, the morphology, quality, and quantity of sperm. What do you know? It's almost... I mean, it's not almost, it seems like literally everything that's coming out and everything that's involved in these agendas and every some abstract way reduces your fertility. I find that almost impossible to miss. On the organ level, nanoparticles can deposit in the ovary and testes, leading to weight decreases of the testes and epi- epidemis and changes in the testes. On the body level, the levels of some hormones have been observed to change. Well, what do you know? Reduction in fertility and hormone changes. All these things are seeming to add up in a lot of different, very alarming ways. And then this one is from nanoparticles in modern medicine. A couple of interesting points in here. Oh, and this one is from 20 or 2007, so even further back. A couple points. Now, this is specifically about lipid-based nanoparticles. Liposome-based drug delivery systems, like the COVID injections they're currently giving people, have also been extensively investigated for drug delivery to the central nervous system. Surface coverage with PEG, polyethylene glycol, which is very problematic with James Lyons Weiler pointed this out right in the beginning and nobody cared, is also effective in these systems. That's why it's been used, but that's what gives it in part the longer half-life, which is why it continues to circulate and so on. Following intravenous injection, the liposomes were observed to accumulate to high levels in the central nervous system within two hours, including blood-brain barrier penetration. So maybe... All these earlier tests were to try to test to see if it was working. Certainly makes sense, doesn't it? Nobody's explained why they needed to jam those things up your nose to test for something they could have gotten a swab from your mouth to test. That's what's happening now. Why don't we see those any why don't we see those happening anymore? Nobody's given an explanation for why that was happening. That blows me away. Why doesn't that wake people up? Trust and follow, I guess. The application of nanoparticle-based drug delivery approaches in respiratory diseases has been somewhat limited. Lung inflammation and airway hyperactivity were induced in mice based on the system they're using. That's the platform we're talking about, as the platform could be the problem. In both instances, the liposomal nanoparticles were observed to bind preferentially to selections on activated endothelial cells. I found that interesting, especially when you realize that this major peer-reviewed study found that the spike protein 
whichever where it comes, which, whatever way it gets in your body, impairs endothelial function. What do you know? All these things seem to be happening just the way they're supposed to. So let's consider how this could be something in that line. Here's something I wrote or put out in May 24th, 2023. And this is an, another new aspect to this. You can watch this. For your, I hope you'll watch it. This is an important one. New aerosolized mRNA delivering nanoparticles can vaccinate or they can eliminate. And that's literally based on the study. The idea being that we're talking about aerosolizing mRNA nanoparticles. Like, I don't know, a nasal flu shot, which they can use to vaccinate you, or it can be used to, and, and, and this is, my word was, the eliminate was the word that was used, but my interpretation of this was ultimately because it can be used to help something, it can be used to hurt something. And you can read the study. It was very clear. Obviously, that's not what the study wants you to take from it, but the idea is all of these things, the platform, the injections, any of it, it's dual use which by definition makes it a weapon because it can be used to kill people. So can injections, by the way. The bottom line is this is about aerosolizing the same thing they're using. And let's not forget, this was something that was already researched in the 90s. They funded coronavirus-induced myocarditis. They were trying to find out if they can use a coronavirus to cause myocarditis. And then, of course, the next part was they went on to test it in the caves in China to see if it could spread amongst the bats, which that's self-spreading technology. That's what this is, guys. So let's keep and then realize what that's that's what this top conversation was all about in the technological step forward about turning your body into this very concept about creating something that could you they could give you this, you know, or put something out that would deliver these nanoparticles. And that could be something that from you could go forward. Right. Turning your body into a drug slash weapons factory. Right. That's why I've always played that clip of Forbes and, and, and Pfizer talking about doing exactly that. Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to hack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. Or weapons. Right. That, this is my read the research. All they're talking about is doing this to incre- to create they can they can create what they want. Now let's just say that is some kind of a drug. Well, let, that's what we're talking about now, which then creates the spike protein, which can then spread. So it's kind of one and the same. That's dual purpose. So here's one of the studies, one of the shows we did. This is back in uh, 2022, or the in the early. This is uh, what January? No, March 20, 2022. Self spreading vax underway. Now, the reason we talked about this, and you could watch the show for yourself, is because it was very clear. Now, oh, look at that. The Johns Hopkins discussion is totally not coming up, and you can look at yourself. It's weird how seemingly everything is being removed and deleted, because that's what honest governments do, right? Well, here is the way back machine of the thing they don't want you to see. Johns Hopkins, right? Because Johns Hopkins usually deletes their Center for Health Security posts about what they're going to do in the future. Well, no, because I think this was a little too open. This came out in 2018. You can see right there. Oh, I can't zoom in for some reason, but it says right there, 2018. And here's where this is important. Technologies to address global catastrophic biological risks. Well, two years later, what do you know? That's what they said happened. Well, if you look through this, guys, there's a lot of concerning stuff. Now, right out of the gate, under 
high impact methodology, like readiness and impact and cost of technologies to address what they're talking about. Like the thing, this is the things they're putting forward as things we could use to stop the next problem. This is 2018, mind you, before the COVID illusion. And they, one of the main ones they put forward, self-spreading human vaccines. Right there. Not animal to animal. That's in here too. But self-spreading human vaccines. Over here is self-spreading animal vaccines, which is what everybody pretends they're talking about. No, they are openly talking about self-spreading human vaccines. In 2018. So first of all, let's not pretend like this is some kind of a conspiracy theory, as plenty of say it is. And in 2020, they were already discussing how this was in the works in Europe. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, the word virus has been dominating media headlines as well as our daily lives. Did you know that one approach that has been proposed to control virally transmitted diseases is by releasing a virally transmitted vaccine? Maybe that happened. Unlike traditional vaccines, infectious vaccines do not require any individual consent. Hey, well, they didn't ask for that this time. And maybe this got, maybe this was meant to hurt people, or maybe this just failed, and that's what's hurting people. Infectious solutions are also being developed for food and agriculture. And to right, that's the insect allies conversation from 2015. So it's the same thing, the same technology, the same step. And this was done September 6th, or 2nd to 6th in 2020. This was huge in Europe. So when they're talking about this in 2018 and then they float that as in the works in 2020 and say, should we allow this to go forward? Let's realize that's pretty obvious that it's already happening. I don't mean that means it's deployed. You can decide for yourself. But very clearly, this has been working and is being talked about and is being studied and is being tested. So even then, you could argue, as, as I've proven, it's been tested in trials or in the case of China, that maybe that's exactly what got out or could get out going forward or could be the illusion or the narrative for what gets out. So going forward on just this post, I want to show you a couple of the technologies that they're discussing in this that are very concerning. Remember, this is 2018. Disease detection, surveillance, and situational awareness. They talk about a lot of concerning things. Ubiquitous genomic sequencing. You know what ubiquitous means, right? All in, everywhere, from end to end. That means everybody. So let's just get everybody sequenced. Everyone give us your DNA, and then we can just decide if you're going to get sick tomorrow. Yeah, no thank you. But that, that's being pushed all over the place, isn't it? Now, I'm going to get into some Twitter stuff probably tomorrow. Let's not forget them already kind of overlapping like the biometric angle and all these different things. Like all this is very, very concerning to me. Drone networks for environmental detection. Oh, good. So they're going to be spying on you with drones to tell you whether you're going to have an outbreak. That's what they're talking about. That's what they're already pushing everywhere else. Remote sensing for agricultural pathogens. Infectious disease diagnostics. Let's see. There's a couple of the main points I wanted to get to. Specifically the cell spreading. I'll end with that. But I want to show you some of these in the, as we get to it. Synthetic biology for manufacturing medical countermeasures. Yeah, that's, that's the military overlap, guys. That's what all of this actually is. DARPA. 3D printing chemicals and biologics. Medical countermeasures, distribution, dispensing, and administration. Microarray patches for vaccine administration. Right? That's one of the things they're already trying to do. Self-spreading vaccines under medical countermeasures. 
What is technology? Self-spreading vaccines, also known as transmitting or self-propagating vaccines, are genetically engineered to move through populations in the same way as diseases. Huh. But rather than causing disease, they confer protection. Well, so we're told, right? Well, what about the idea of this conversation? Oh, no way. They changed this page. Man, that's crazy. I was, I mean, literally, as I'm talking about everything's changing and altering, check this out. Just talked about this. That's actual, no, this is the post for the podcast from Charles Lieber and Harvard talking about the virus-sized transistor. That's loading. That's, I hope it's even the same. Yeah, it looks, looks the same. I mean, I bet you something's missing. I don't know why they would change it. It's an old post from 2011. Man, that's so shady, man. It's everywhere. Why would they do that? This, Come on, it's got to be on this one. Come on. There we go. Maybe not. Oh, I can't believe that. I can't believe nobody has this on the way back machine. Well, that's really frustrating. I'll have to go back on one of my older shows and compare it. Son of a gun. Well, in the meantime, <laughs> that's so, that just makes me so mad. So you can see this is from 2011. For those that have watched this show, you guys can see for yourself. This just looks different. But the main point of all of it was as we're talking about self-spreading vaccines and the idea that they are move, they, they act like diseases. Well, that's exactly what this was all about, right? This is a nanoscale transistor that can enter cells without harming them. And how did they do that? The same way they did the other ones. They used a fatty lipid layer, wherever it was. There we go. Fatty lipid layer to pull, so the device was easily pulled into the cell membrane. That's what's happening in your body with those injections. And it also says, well, they discovered that, well, a, 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 when it's a man-made structure is as small as a virus or bacteria, it behaves the same way as biological things do. Okay, so when you're talking about a virus-sized transistor that could then go out and spread and cause disease and so on, and it, you know the point is, how do we know the difference? The overlap to this is impossible without them telling you. And down here it says, you have the opportunity to do things that sound like science fiction, things that people have only dreamed about. But he's talking about it, it's happening now. This is not false, it's not, it's real. The vision is that a small number of individuals in the target population could be vaccinated and the vaccine strain would then circulate the population much like a pathogenic virus. Yeah, informed consent, who needs it? Think about that mindset. Ingestible bacteria for vaccination. Well, what do you think about that, no virus guys? That's interesting. Maybe that's all of what this is. Who knows? And I'm, I don't mean that even in a negative way. Like I'm... You, anyone that honestly understands my opinion knows that I'm actually very interested in that topic. I just don't think it's as sound as some people out there do. I think that mo I think both germ entering theory are actually incomplete, quite frankly, based on my own research, but that doesn't make people happy on either side. Synthetic vaccinology. Self-amplifying mRNA vaccines. Okay, so this, in my opinion, is quite literally what this is, if not self-spreading already. Drone delivery to remote locations. I think mean, it just goes on and on, guys. It's absolutely crazy. So, this brings us to Omicron. Omicron, I wrote about this in 2022 and many other times before it, but I called it Omicron, the self-spreading vaccine. Well, this overlaps with a other new study that I find brings this all together. 
Well, first of all, I wanted to make you see, make sure you saw this. I should have pointed it out when I mentioned it before. Botswana government on Twitter. This is the, this is the real account. Now, you know what's actually funny? <laughs> I'm willing to bet you this is why this happened. When this, I, I, again, I could probably, I'll, I'll go back and find the older shows and I'll show you. The Botswana government used to have a little check that said, you know, government. Now they don't. <laughs> Which I'm wondering if that's because this statement is concerning and you don't know, make people question it. But let's find, the point is they put this statement out on November 26, 2021. And it very clearly says the new virus, Omicron, that's what that stands for, was detected on four foreign nationals who entered Botswana on the 7th of November on a diplomatic mission. Very interesting. Now, in this very show, I go over this and I make it clear that they 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 even altered way back machine, uh, you know, Wikipedia pages to make it look like it came from South Africa. Why? And Botswana is on the record saying, we refuse to tell you who they are, where they came from. Okay. So all that in consideration, and with the way we now know this thing is working, with the way we know they've lied about everything, with the fact that, you know, whether that's something that was meant to change everything for the better for those that took it, or this was the, pro- the execution after the priming, however you want to look at it, a new study has now come out. Now, the expose is where I first saw this, but I'm not really in line with how they frame this, so I'll let you guys look at that for yourself. Here is the study. Now, this is not a peer-reviewed platform. This is a, a Creative Commons open, you know, but these are still doctors and scientists that are publishing stuff on here, you know, by and large. Like these people, you can look up their platforms. This is from uh, Kyoto University. This guy is from a Osaka Medical and Pharmaceutical University. My point, though, my argument would be that things like this don't get peer-reviewed today because it's not comfortable for the discussion. So you can take this for what you will. The data is pretty extensive if you want to look through this. But here's what it says. August 15th, raw data for, quote, unnatural evolution processes of SARS-CoV-2 variants and possibility of deliberate natural selection, which is an interesting way to frame that. But overall, it basically means gain of function. Deliberate natural selection would be altering it, you know, giving it a nudge in the direction you want it to go and then allowing it to evolve, I guess. Here's what it says. In this study, we aim to clarify the evolutionary processes leading to the formation of SARS-CoV-2 Omicron variants. Not all variants, so Omicron variants. Focusing on Omicron variants with many amino acid mutations in the spike protein among SARS-CoV-2 isolates. To determine the order of mutations leading to the formation of the SARS-CoV-2 Omicron variants, we compared the sequences of 129 Omicron BA1-related, 141 BA11 related and to 122 BA2 related isolates and attempted to clarify the evolutionary processes of SARS-CoV-2 Omicron variants, leading the order of mutations, including the order of mutations leading to the formation and the occurrence of homologous recombination. As a result, we concluded that the formation of a part of Omicron isolates BA1, BA11, and BA2, the things they aimed that new shot at, was not the product of genome evolution. As is commonly observed in nature, such as the accumulation of mutations and homologous recombinations. Furthermore, the study of 35 recumbent isolates of Omicron variants BA1 and BA2 confirmed that Omicron variants were already present in 2020. I mean, that's an interesting point. I don't even know how to work that out exactly. Let's talk about it afterward. The analysis showed that Omicron variants were formed by an entirely new mechanism that cannot be explained by previous biology. And knowing how the SARS-CoV-2 variants were formed 
prompts a reconsideration of the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. That's huge. Argument being that Omicron was not natural, that this was made, altered, and then BA1, BA2. I mean, guys, that was literally what the the bivalent shot was aimed at. Or more specifically, I think it was uh, the Wuhan strain and then BA2. And they just pretended it worked for everything else or one of those. Either way, this study and based on their research is telling you this is, and you know what's even crazier is we have the discussion from experts in the beginning, speaking with Fauci on the emails we now under, we've now seen saying, we don't think this original one was natural. It has all the hallmarks of an altered virus. So was this just simply, was this part two? Was this adding Omicron in a field to try to help the people that are hurting from their side effects, vaccine side effects? Or, I mean, you guys can decide for yourself, but this is damning. And then on top of it, the point that is saying that they found they were seeing isolates of Omicron in 2020. So the way I would take that is that that indicates this was already available. Something that might have already been out there, something that might have already been deployed, maybe a little too early. How I don't, I'm not sure. But at the end of the day, this screams bioweapon. This screams artificial you know, virus, if you will, but I'm not even sure if that's what we're talking about here. On top of that, if you don't believe that viruses are real, remember the point about this, right? I mean, if we're really thinking about the fact that they executed this and they put this out there, why couldn't it be a virus-sized transistor? What, maybe this was the first time they were play- executing this to see if it worked. Maybe they thought it would help people. I don't know. But we just... Be careful not to just dismiss something because it doesn't fit in with what you think might be happening, whatever that may be in any topic. Keep an open mind because this is pretty interesting. Now, also, let's not forget the the fact that this is a military operation, which would then overlap that with, in particular, One of Whitney's really important articles from 2020 about the fact that all of this, the coronavirus agenda, gave a dangerous boost to DARPA's darkest agenda. Or coronavirus gives a dangerous boost to DARPA's darkest agenda. And that had to do with everything we're now seeing. We just talked about the in vivo nano platforms. That's exactly what they're now talking about. That they can turn your body into a drug factory. And that's going, but also maybe something else. That's all in the research. If you look at these actual studies from the military, that they're talking about it as a dual purpose thing. It's the same thing. Talking about living foundries. That's where we get into the idea of actually producing these things within the body. Next generation non-surgical neurotechnology. I mean, we've talked about these in depth. Human bioreactors, nanotherapeutics. DARPA-funded gene vaccines. I mean, all of this stems back to DARPA. We talked about Amy Jenkins and the PP3 platform. That they're, that's, that's what we, I think all of this ultimately stems from. The bottom line, all of this, guys, is very clearly tied to what they were working on before. Now, whether you think COVID was just where they decided to execute it and use it, or whether that was designed to make this happen, or whether it was all a big scam, it's obvious we're being lied to. This is a great interview with, with Taylor. And Sasha Latipova, how Pfizer and the Department of Defense defrauded the public. Here's a great, a great uh, interview I had with Destiny Resendez, the military intelligence hidden hand driving the COVID-19 injections. This gets into the receipts and the people, Resilience Inc. and the groups that are actually behind a lot of this, as well as the fact is our follow up where she found a 2019 CIA epidemic plan that near exactly outlines what later happened in 2020. Everything. I mean, guys, this I, I you know, 
I'm always going to be re resistant to jumping to conclusions about larger theories. But that doesn't mean I dismiss these things. And I am watching this stuff get fletched out. It's hard not to see this stuff. Now, to finish, a couple of quick points. Or a couple of it. I think there's one other point, but I thought this was hilarious. Orwell shared this with me. True Stream Media points out, hey, look, a new variant comes out. They're telling you Priola is a new one to watch out for. I think that's what he was mentioning earlier. And then they go and look up Priola. You know what it stands for? Penis. Or any of those down there. <laughs> It's almost like they're trying to make fun of you, right? So as they're trying to hype you into something new, they literally go, you know, here, be afraid of the new penis variant. Just in, new Priola variant, sparks fear. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's almost too much. And then Jicky Leaks points out something is, these things are breaking through because of you guys. Vindicated again. Pfizer Australia had special batches for its employer program. It's finally made it to the mainstream news. Sure enough, Pfizer refuses to reveal how many of its Australian employees quit the company rather than take its specially imported COVID vaccine. So they won't even reveal how many, how many, they won't reveal how many quit instead of taking that one that was probably made just for them. But this is what we've already shown you. So this stuff is breaking through, guys. Uh, your vaccine mandate was using your own batch of vaccine, especially imported for Pfizer, which was not tested by the TGA. Is that correct? Uh, Senator, so Pfizer undertook to import um, a, a batch of vaccine specifically for the employee vaccination program. That's wild. That's absolutely wild. Now, you know, and thank all the high level journalists at Wall Street Journal and, and Associated Press and New York Times and Washington Post who just run from these stories because they're good journalists. Right. But it's real. And we know, and even Daily Mail is pointing it out. I mean, this was in a hearing in, in Australia. Good, good on Rennick for calling this stuff out. He really has been breaking this out, man. And then, of course, this, this comes from the expose article as well. Scott Moorfield points this ridiculous thing out. This is really where we are right now. This is even from Fox News. I'll just, I'll just let it play for itself. Message from is get the shot if you want. I if will. If you want it, don't, go ahead. Don't get it. Where, You're going to get another one. I just said I'm not going to ask anybody if they're it? getting their shot. Get, I won't wear a mask, but I'm going to get the shot. You are. How, what number shot is this for you? I've had it every. T so I'm, I'm <laughs> doing one in October. I have one in April. How many? One What's one the October. total? So this yeah. will be my seventh. <laughs> seventh oh, <laughs> shot. And I've had COVID three times. Coming up. <laughs> I just said we weren't going to ask about that. That lady just drove me crazy, by the way. But what's funny? It's, it's not even funny. It's actually, why are you laughing about this? Like, I don't even understand what's happening right here. Are you, are you telling people to take it, but then you're laughing about how you are being like, well, I took seven and still got sick three times. Oh, next on the show. <laughs> like, what are you laughing about? That you're a complete fool? That you're, that you're promoting something that you know doesn't work? I mean, what is going on right there? That, that's corporate media for you guys. I don't even think he realizes how dumb that is, but there we are. It's ridiculous. I'm sorry. I shouldn't even make fun of that lady. I just think the people on corporate news are so dumb these days. I just said we weren't going to talk about that. It's like, what are you, seven? It's, it's just funny. But to finish off, I wanted to include a couple of important points. Since we just talked about masks, I was able to actually find this, by the way. And I just want to include this for the show notes that I, I want to make sure actually I save this in my masks. Remember, when I, when I lost my, my computer, broke down and, you know, randomly just decided to not be working anymore, even though it was brand new. I, I definitely think something happened there. I lost a lot of research, and this was one of the things I couldn't find, and I finally found it. For those in the podcast, it's directly from Honeywell. 
about N95 masks. So now that they're telling you N95 is all the rage, again, I'd like to just make sure we understand something here. And then, you know, I, I don't even need to show it. But again, people have been pointing at the, the box of masks from the Walgreens that literally says on the side of the box, does not work, for, does not stop or reduce your risk for COVID-19. I don't even know how that wasn't the most obvious thing in the world. That was these mask companies making sure they weren't going to be liable for lying about that. N95 masks mean something very simple. It means that it removes 95% of 0.3 or larger micron particles. But only 95% even then, by the way. So even if it was smaller, you would still be getting 5% of it. But on top of that, we know for sure that this is not the size of COVID-19. And even then, remember, this was the, I, I, we could show you it's 0.1 at most to 0.3. And that in general, they're also telling you wild smoke, wildfire smoke will get through your mask, and that's larger. So in general, realize that this is not, they know that's not how these are supposed to work. And even Honeywell will make sure you understand that in other discussions, or Stephen Petty, the expert, will tell you none of these are designed to do this. It's all a big lie, guys. And that's why they told you to wear cloth masks that increased your risk of illness, according to peer-reviewed studies. And then after two years, went like, oh, guess that's not true. Now use these ones. And nobody even blinked an eye, or some of them anyway, and just put on the new one without even a brief consideration of, well, they were just wrong about that one. So maybe they're wrong about this one. No, no, don't, don't question authority. It's very sad. You know, this is this is from the World Economic Forum. And I will include this clip that Brock just put out about the same thing from the beginning, COVID variants and the PCR illusion, if you want to watch it on Rumble. And I will finish today with just an additional point, additional point that all of this, guys, I mean, everything we're talking about is also happening to your animals. Now, you may not care about that, just whoever out there, but I do. I care probably more about my animals than most people, maybe all of them. But I'll tell you right now, this is not okay. And it's worse for them because what's happening to them is less regulated, it's less measured, and it is more dangerous. And it just makes me sick because they're just, you know, animals are like children. They need you. They depend on you and they look to you like you're going to protect them. And then you don't do your due diligence. And then you let these dangerous people put dangerous things in them for their own benefit and act like that's better for you. And I mean, I'm not trying to put it on you in general because I know people don't know this stuff. But please do your research because these dogs, animals don't deserve this because what's happening is messed up, man. Iver, uh, inversionism doing great work and continuing to do great work. Don't get me started on animal vaccines. Most dogs are getting a nine in one vaccine from Spectra. Guess what's in it? Thermarosol. Thermarosol. The one, the very thing we pretend we know is dangerous, take it out of our vaccines, but we keep it in dogs. Why? Because it's cheaper. Yeah. Even at a dog that changed radically after a vaccine and start becoming overly aggressive, antisocial, constantly tired and sick or develop other behavioral problems. A lot of people do. Mostly, they just get aggressive autoimmune problems that last the rest of their life and usually lead to some kind of an illness that kills them. I, you just ask. A, it's everywhere. It really makes me sad. And then the reason he posted this is this is what the Daily Mail is writing. Anti-vax spreads to pet owners. Makes me sick. Well, I'll leave you with this clip, as I've played before, of a veterinarian who is just fed up with the reality of what's happening to these dogs and nobody cares. And while he's telling them, they're laughing, they're looking at their phones and nobody cares. And what's on the desk in front of him? Peer-reviewed science. Study after study showing what he's proving and they just don't care. Well, these dogs are dealing with the same thing we are now. 
right? Or vice versa. We are now what they've always dealt with. And that's the point. Peer-reviewed study after peer-reviewed study shows you they're hurting you, shows you a net harm, shows you these things are dangerous no matter what they do, and they just keep going. So we, we're just like the dogs now. <laughs> it's no different. So hopefully we can wake up, right? Hopefully people can see through this and start doing the right thing and fighting for your animals and for your children and for the planet, for humanity. Because really, guys, I don't know. I don't know how else to piece all this together without realizing that something is being done to us. That's why people like doctors, highly educated, scientifically minded doctors like Dr. Yeadon will come out and say this is evil. And he even seems like even like hesitates. He's like, I don't even know. I can't, I've never used this word in this context, but like this is evil. I don't know what else to call it. Frankly, I agree with him. There's something quite dark happening here. And I just hope that you guys can continue to ask questions and stay objective through all of it, because I know it's easy to fall in to more of the assumptive, more conspiratorial minded discussions, which I don't even mean that in derogatory sense. Right. But just that ends up being a lot of hypothesizing, which we need to do. But let's make sure that we stick with what we can prove when we talk about these things and we're objective and we you're not going to wake people up based on hypothetical conversations and arguments. It's entertaining. But if you can prove this thing, if you can prove that you're, they're hurting their child, prove the mask is making them sick, you might be able to save some lives. That's what I care about. Fighting for the people that don't know, fighting for the voiceless. So thank you for being here. And thank you guys for all your support this month. Let's keep it going. We need your support month in and month out, guys, because we're going to keep growing and we are going to keep pushing. But truly, just overwhelmed. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Thousands of pets dying out there every day. While we sat at this table, five, six pets died in the United States from a rabies vaccine they didn't need. Anybody can walk in here, sit down, and say whatever they want. But I gave you science. I said to the state board, if I had to kill an animal to obey that law, would I have to do it? They said yes. One rabies vaccine is good for life. All this is unnecessary. If that dog had a tighter check, it would not need a vaccination. So this is the real problem here. I had put upstairs in the public health department 45 articles that show vaccines are dose dependent. Tigers indicate immunity. It's been proven. Okay, but who's the we? Who's the we? The researchers. The researchers. These are the researchers. They're the ones who do the research. Okay, I spent a career in the pharmaceutical. And I spent a career being a veterinarian watching like animals die. I think I have before, but I completely don't agree with what you're saying. <laughs> do you know of any studies that the vaccine can sometimes create other health concerns for animals? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. You get tumors at the injection sites, you get autoimmune diseases that start later in life, but you get the immediate reactions. Some dogs die immediately of anaphylaxis. Others get just serum sickness and they vomit, maybe hide under the bed for a day or two. But if I lower my dose, right, to protect the animal, then I'm in trouble. So I have to do what the manufacturer says. And like the State Board of Connecticut said, if I have to kill my pet, I have to kill my pet. It's the law. Well, guess what? 
I have a Hippocratic oath that is greater than any law that's passed in the state of Connecticut that would make me kill my patient. I won't do it.